Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, a podcast that's all about comedy book movies, which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... James Hunt. And I'm on Woman. So, Seb isn't with us, unfortunately he's a little bit under the weather this week, but I'm on your back for the second time this year, you were with us to discuss Deadpool, and you're back to discuss Suicide Squad. So, if anyone doesn't know you, if anyone didn't hear our Deadpool episode that is listening to this, uh, do you want to let our listeners know a little bit more about you? Yeah, so my name is Amon Woman. Um, I freelance for a few different websites. Uh, one of them is Total Film. I got my own website as well, amonimusblog.com, and I make the occasional YouTube video called Amontages as well on my YouTube channel. Which are like a mashup of all of the like you do you do great summer movie ones. So I imagine there was a fair bit of Suicide Squad in the ones that you put together this year. There was a fair bit of Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad is for my money actually. Um, that first trailer with Bohemian with Bohemian Rhapsody is the best trailer of 2016. I still stand by that. I wish I could say the film was the one of the best films of 2016, but I cannot <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll probably um, get straight into it because, as with always on our new release episodes, we are skipping straight past the news and instead we're going to have a spoiler-free discussion of the film first um, before wading into... Ah, trudging, wading into our (laughs) spoiler-filled discussion this week of David Ayer's 2016 movie, Suicide Squad. We'll, this this is our spoiler-free section. We won't go into any kind of specifics. We'll keep it fairly brief before we dig into things. But, Amon, have you... Uh, do you have much familiarity with the Suicide Squad beyond the movie? Did you Had you read any comics, or had you come across them in kind of, like, animated form or anything like that? I had come across them in animated form. I, I haven't really read too many comics um of the Suicide Squad, but I've come across them in animated form a couple of times. It was actually going to be my uh, recommendations for later on. Um, but the, okay. they they popped up in the Justice League Unlimited series. Um, the Justice League series as a whole, for my money, is the best animated superhero cartoon of all time. I put it above Batman at the animated series, which I love. I put it above uh, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, which I also love. It's that good. And um, the... Suicide Squad or Task Force X episode of that uh, series is one of the best episodes of the entire run. 
Yeah, I think. See, I think for me, my knowledge of this of this going in was um, it, kind of the characters. Uh, knowing a lot of the characters that are in this film from kind of little appearances here or there, seeing them pop up, but not in a Suicide Squad context, other than the brief arc that they had on Arrow, where a Suicide Squad was put together by Amanda Waller. And I believe there they had characters like Bronze Tiger. Um, I think De- Deadshot was involved. Captain Boomerang was involved. Yeah, they um, had to they had to kill them it? off because of the film, <laughs> or they had to stop that storyline yeah, because of so the film. <laughs> they hinted at Harley Quinn's involvement, like, "Oh no, she's too crazy to bring along." Like hinting towards like a, a cell, um, and then yeah, we never revisited that cell. Uh, <laughs> Weirdly, I think now in the era of Jeff Johns being in more control, that um, she she that she might well have turned up. It might have been a good way to make the general public more, or at least a section of the viewing audience more aware of the Suicide Squad before this movie. Um, I think confidently you can say that this is probably by far the most obscure concept that either Marvel or DC has done on screen in sort of recent times. Like I think, well, I think the obvi- the obvious comparison that everyone's bringing up is Guardians of the Galaxy, isn't it? I w- yeah, I mean, I would say that that's far more obscure. Even they, even they had a lot. I would argue had a larger profile than Suicide Squad do. Like, the only thing yeah. I can think of that Marvel has done pretty much ever is like Man Thing, and that was a straight to DVD release anyway. So, no, I would say, so I, I would say the Guns of the Galaxy were they were a lot less high profile than the Suicide Squad simply because of the characters you've got um, in the Suicide Squad one, um, like Deadshot. You know, he's relatively popular in DC. Harley Quinn, obviously, quite popular. Is it Harley and is it Harley and the Joker that push things over? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, I meant the concept was the most obscure rather than the the, uh, the comic book property, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm on. Last time you were here, you were very enthusi- enthusiastic about Deadpool. Probably the most enthusiastic of us, although we all liked that movie to varying degrees. Um, do you think you're going to be the most enthusiastic again? Unfortunately not. Um, this film is it's the most frustrating watch. It's the most frustrating film I've watched in 2016. Um, oh, you, you just a Marvel fanboy. I'm <laughs> getting that Marvel money, man. <laughs> um, but it's... it's gone beyond the money now, though, hasn't it? The narrative has gone past you been getting the money, and it's just no critics have it out for DC because. They yeah. don't want those films to be successful. No, I, don't, I don't really understand it. There's so many the things. The idea of I someone can... <laughs> who watches movies for a living not wanting them to be good is insane to me. There's so many things I could say about that topic in terms of what the director and the cast have been saying in defense of this film, but I'm going to save that. Um, <laughs> but it's really weird. Um, you know, I, I have plenty of good things to say about Suicide Squad, but it's not a good movie. And it sort of it reminds me of the characterization of Batman and Batman v Superman in that they did a lot of things right. The Batsuit was great. The Batcave was great. The entrance to the Batcave was great. I like the look of the Batmobile. But when you get the character wrong on a fundamental level, then all of that becomes little more than very cool window dressing. And it's a similar deal with Suicide Squad in that there are lots of moments in the film that I enjoyed. There are lots of things in the film, you know, that, that, that really, you know, hit the spot for me. But when fundamental things like storytelling and editing are, are, are as, as poor as they are here, 
then I can't then turn around and say it's a good movie. On top of all of that, there is no new Will Smith song in the credits, which doesn't do any, which doesn't do the film any favors whatsoever. Um, I have to say, I think the most surprising moment in the film also came in the end credits, and that was only one credited editor on this movie. I would like to call bullshit on that right now. Yeah, no I, I second that. There's only one person editing this film, oh, and I, there must have been an absolute army trying to put this together. Um, <laughs> James, you have I'm on you any more positive? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say. Like, I think as a film, like it's that it's obvious that it's a complete mess. But at the same time, like maybe it's the thing of having low expectations. I don't know. Like, I I feel like well, it's... you you would be the you, you know I mean you would be the outlier there because the the biggest you know, defence that a lot of people have been saying about this is, oh, everyone was so excited for it because the trailers looked too good, so good. Oh yeah, but I always like I always thought the trailers looked like sort of vaguely juvenile nonsense. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I, I I was never that convinced. I disagree. So... <laughs> <laughs> the trailers are amazing. I mean, I, I edit videos from time to time, so I really appreciate that sort of stuff. And I think the way that the trailers were put together was absolutely fantastic. It's some of the most tight editing I've seen. It's very rare that you see that level of editing in the trailer. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> you can't say the same thing about the film, which is you know, really yeah. weird. Um, I mean, obviously, Whereas I've in, got in, past the point of caring about whether a DC trailers look good or bad because it has no bearing on the film. I mean, I, I'm not a big trailer guy anyway. I try to go like, I, I'll, I'll watch a trailer once, but that's about it, and I'm going to dig any deeper into it because... I don't want to spoil the film for myself, and also, um, I, I, it's it's so rare that you get a good idea of a film from the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've you know, we, we were talking about it after our Comic Con episode. Uh, Wonder Woman, Justice League, Doctor Strange. Watched all of those trailers. Thought that some trailers were better than the others. I've no idea whether Wonder Woman is going to live up to that trailer. I suspect that Doctor Strange could well be better than its trailer. You know, who knows. Mm-hmm. And but DC have now consistently, for three films, delivered a significantly better trailer than they have a movie. I mean, just to, anyway, just to like quickly pull it back to what my opinion of the film actually was. Like, yes, <laughs> I keep going back and thinking, what was the last DC film I enjoyed as much as this? And I think it's probably Dark Knight. Like I, that, I can't think of a film I, like I definitely didn't prefer Dark Knight Rises to this. Like I, what? No way! Did yeah, you just I say mean, that? That's a that's a much bigger podcast. <laughs> you think Suicide entirely in Bane voice? To clarify, you think Suicide I, Squad is better than The Dark Knight Rises? No, 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 no. I like I accept that it's a worse film. I enjoyed myself watching it more. <laughs> okay. Like, I don't, you know, I I'm a notorious Christopher Nolan. Like, if you want to, if you want to use the word hater, <laughs> it would be acceptable in this case because he's never done anything I've enjoyed. Wow. Um, you, you aside from well, the Dark I'm pretty sure you aside said from the Dark yeah, the, the Dark Knight. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll, I, we'll be talking that about much a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's more of an accident than design. So yeah, I mean, uh, you know it. I don't think it's a good film. I didn't walk out thinking like I wish I had the, the two hours back. I would I would watch it again. I would watch it again, which I wouldn't do for Batman v Superman. This is 
for me, comfortably the worst superhero movie of the year. And I say that as someone who very much did not enjoy X-Men Apocalypse or (laughs) Batman v Superman. I think Batman v Superman is a thoroughly, thoroughly more competent and enjoyable movie than this. Um, I... Um, yeah, in terms of Christopher Nolan, any any Christopher Nolan movie, think what you like about that guy. Um, I can't. Yeah, it, uh, for me, this is just it, it's just incompetent from the from the like first five minutes going forward. I've seen people <laughs> say, "Oh, well, it's visually stylish." Maybe occasionally when it's throwing up those title cards for like introducing the members of the team at the start. Other than that, it's dark and rainy and they're fighting knockoff versions of The Last of Us zombies. <laughs> and the the costume design, basically the stuff that you saw in the trailer is good. And then from that point forward, I just thought that almost everything in this film was uh, incompetently put together. Um, the, the good thing is that in this era of shared universes, you can take characters and put them into new things, give them to new directors, have new stuff done with them. And I think there are three characters in this movie who I would like to see significantly more of, um, but not in a Suicide Squad film and not in a David Ayer film and not in a film that existed in the kind of like in this Zack Snyder ran era of DC. Hopefully this is the last remnants of that, but this also seems like a film that has been torn apart in a kind of test screening studio level because, yeah, I mean, the the first act of this film looks like it has gone through about six different iterations and we end up with a version that introduces the characters one by one but doesn't introduce them equally introduces some characters two or even three times and um it's just uh, yeah it, it seemed like a mess to me and i liked small moments i liked little moments with characters but even the characters i like felt inconsistent um didn't feel like they had defined arcs through the movie or if they did have arcs they felt confused because the film felt haphazardly cut together um i just thought it was horrible you guys really really bad and james the fact that you think you could watch it again or had a degree of fun with it (laughs) i was so bored and i really didn't (laughs) think the one thing i didn't think about this movie someone um tweeted us the other day and like um i think seb tweeted out from the cinematic universe account something about so, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> oh, Suicide no, was, Squad reviews are out. Yeah. Well, that was you. <laughs> <laughs> Suicide Squad reviews are out. We're going to have to watch it. And someone tweeted like, oh, you know, are, you, are all of you guys down on it? And I was like, you know, even after the reviews, I was still looking forward to it because I thought even if it's a hot mess, there might be lots of stuff to find in there. And also, you know, I don't always agree with the negative reviews. I might find something to like. And I was, I was still genuinely looking forward to seeing the film and seeing what they had made out of the elements that I'd seen in the trailers and I was so so bored and so so just depressed and kind of like slapping myself on the head sometimes going oh my god that is so stupid the decision they've just made (laughs) could that soundtrack choice be any more on the nose oh yes it could it could be that next soundtrack choice um I hated it you guys I hated it um and it's uh, again, it's uh, you know one of my pet pa- hates for a movie. It's not about anything. It's not. There's not <laughs> really anything underpinning it. 
There no. are characters in the film who really are just like moving props. Um, and structurally, the film doesn't introduce them. It doesn't blend them into a team properly. I mean, I'm sure there are going to be DC fans out there who keep going, oh, why does this film keep getting compared to Guardians of the Galaxy? It's not Guardians of the Galaxy. It's tried to be more like Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's done. It's learnt the wrong lessons, like throwing some pop hits into your soundtrack and <laughs> having the occasional witty aside is not building a film competently and slowly putting your team together and tugging on the emotions of different characters to see how that affects the team dynamic and seeing how they how they react to events. This this is a film that sends a bunch of characters on a mission and seems far more concerned with what that mission is than how its characters are dealing with it. I mean, I just I'd like to defend my position quickly. <laughs> Which is that the like the things I enjoyed about this film weren't about its sort of technical uh, competence. It was more like, oh, it's Deadshot and he's on screen. Like, it's this comics character, this obscure comics character, and he's getting screen time. Like, I enjoyed it on that level. And I also enjoyed it in the sense that, like, I haven't seen a Will Smith film since I worked out since iRobot. Because what was it he did? I I saw, oh no, sorry, I am Legend. I watched I Robot and I am Legend, and I thought I'm done with Will Smith, and oh, I haven't seen anything until now. And then when I was watching him, like the way this movie is cut is essentially, like he is the lead, he is the male lead. Like, yeah, I don't know if that's how it was written, but that's how it was edited. Is that they've gone? Let's put as much Will Smith in this as we can. Um, this is so a, I was kind this of, is a Will Smith and Margot Robbie movie with some characters yeah. around them. So I was kind of fascinated just by like how sort of magnetic he is. I was like, oh yeah, he's actually really good. Like even when the material is garbage, he is great. So yeah, like that, that like, those like were the Will kind Smith. of things that kept me interested. It wasn't anything about like oh this is an engaging story. It was just like oh that's cool. I'm on. Am I being too harsh? No. Not <laughs> no, I mean, I completely get where you're coming from. I mean, I, I do... I sort of agree with both of you. Because whilst I don't disagree with anything you just said, Joe, I also liked um, sort of Will Smith. I thought, I thought that he was one of the best things about the film. I think Viola Davis is one of the best things about the film. Um, as I got issues with um, the way Harley is sort of brought to life here, but I think uh, Margot Robbie's performance is very energetic. Um, so I, I, I get that sort of stuff and you know that there, there's other sort of positive things I have to say about it as well. But as I said, there's, it's just, it's not a good movie and the amount of wasted potential is just what makes this such a frustrating thing because you can see things that it does well and you can see if they just made a different decision here or there or here or there things could have come together so much better and that's what it just it's just it's, it was so frustrating watching this movie um because i think if they just spent a little bit more time developing um the plot i mean as i think we we, we were talking before we started the um david Ayer, we, it, it, it came out that um he wrote the script in six weeks and that's not a recipe 
for success. Um, so, I mean, if, if they just spent a bit more time I mean, it, with it that... It can be done. I mean, Sylvester Sloan wrote Rocky in about a week, I think. But maybe when he was writing it, he knew which characters he wanted to use, how much, you know, he knew what the focus of his story was, he knew what the thing that his hero had to overcome was. Um, that's not any things that are present in this script. And who knows, that maybe maybe they were present in a script on script level, but the film that ends up here doesn't have... Could, could, I mean, we'll get into this in the spoilers, but does anyone know what the villain's plan was? There, I think it's, <laughs> there's, there's one line of exposition and that's about all we get. And we don't know... I, of... <laughs> I heard, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a machine, but I didn't know what that machine was or what it aimed to do. Oh, no, we, we, we don't or get to why? know any of that. We just, we just know about right. the... We just, know, we just know about the machine. That's, that's about it. Yeah. Uh, and um, uh, also yeah. uh, face Cara Delevingne does some dancing while she's putting it up but uh we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah um okay well uh, yeah i think we should probably get into our spoiler filled section now so what we'll do is we'll take a brief pause here we'll take a listen to um the trailer that james thought was juvenile nonsense and amon really liked and i thought it's it was awesome. just fine <laughs> <laughs> so we'll take a quick listen to that and then we'll be back with our spoiler filled discussion of suicide squad I want to assemble a task force of the most dangerous people on the planet. They're bad guys. Worst of the worst. Too late. Open the gate! My time is Was this a cheerleading trials? Hi, boys. Deadshot. Guy shoots people. He's a crocodile. And he eats people. Burns people. You're possessed by a witch. And she's just crazy. What was that? I should kill everyone and escape? Sorry. The voices. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's not what they really said. This is the deal. You're going somewhere very bad. Whoa. Do something that'll get you killed. Let's go save the world. I can't wait to show you my toys. Let's do something fun. Okay, so that was the trailer for Suicide Squad. We're going to be really spoilerific now, um, and um, I guess I guess we'll we'll tackle the film vaguely chronologically. But I do want to start off with that with that opening kind of twenty twenty five minutes, which um, I saw um, Empire writer Nick Desemlian, who uh, did the, the great big feature in Empire on this film recently. Um, and had interviewed David Ayer, and he he was saying how David Ayer had said that there were multiple versions of how to open the film, that there was one version that would have opened with June Moon um, on the archaeology um, 
you know, trip where she encounters Enchantress for the first time. And then they had various versions of how the film would start and how the first act would unravel as the team gets brought together. And what they ultimately decided to go for was what he called the dossier cut, which is basically <laughs> Amanda Waller sitting there and going, you think you've seen the worst of the worst? Well, this is the worst of the worst of the worst. Meet so-and-so. They call him such-and-such. And then we see a bit of a flashback. Um, what I found bizarre was that we got that sequence after two establishing shots, like after two short scenes, one with Deadshot and one with Harley. And then we cut to Amanda Waller after the title card, and she then in- goes through introducing all of the characters, well, some of the characters that are going to be on the squad. Um, and we then get longer extended looks at and introductions to Deadshot and Harley after we've already had introductions to them and then we get the and then we get the introductions to the other characters and then Amanda Waller comes to the prison and we kind of get introduced to those characters again as we like <laughs> see them using their powers in prison and that just seemed an insane way to start a movie it's so disjointed i mean we t- like talked on the podcast about Batman v Superman having a kind of strangely edited opening half hour or hour even in the case of that film and i have heard from people that saw the um that have seen the ultimate edition for instance there's that line where he says no where is clark kansas and then we cut to somewhere that isn't kansas and in the ultimate cut (laughs) it does cut to kansas that was just that was a you know result of the film being cut down and maybe that ruined the flow of that opening hour and made it seem more disjointed than it should have been um here again, it's obviously an editing choice. It's obviously something that the film was going for, but it, to me, even in the cooler little moments, it just felt so like you know, like it felt disjointed. And the fact that we were spending like five ten minutes on a Deadshot scene, or five ten minutes on a Harley scene, and then ten seconds on El Diablo, and Slipknot doesn't even get introduced until suddenly his face is on a screen in some government meeting. Or do you disagree? Was was it not as disjointed as I say? No, it was definitely disjointed and the pacing was very off. With that said, I did enjoy it quite a bit. I loved the, the graphics that accompanied each member as we got to learn a little bit more about them. Although I wish they left them on the screen for longer. I mean, I only found out I only found out about the apparently and with Harley Quinn's graphic it includes a bit about her role in killing Robin I didn't I didn't read that while watching the film it was gone before I could read it so I do, yeah I missed a lot of stuff I did just want to quickly say about those as well like people were talking about how this film was kind of like reshot and edited to add more jokes and I feel like someone watched Deadpool and went oh Deadpool's got all these like throwaway text jokes let's put some of those into this film and then after the first half hour they were like oh we got no room for them anymore so like they they do those like introduction cards that all have a throwaway gag on, but that's the only time the film ever does it. Yeah, I will say yeah. what what's interesting is that the one character doesn't really get a you know quote unquote intro with a flashback is Amanda Waller, but the the scene of her introducing these characters functions as, as a great intro for her in terms of you the, you definitely you definitely get across that you know this is not a woman to be trifled with, and I really like that. Yeah, um, which is strange that you, 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 surely you could have had a scene where she literally just kind of goes through that dossier and says, here are the different people, and then we go and visit them. You know, these are the worst of the worst, and then let's go see how they're the worst of the worst. 
I mean, it seems to, it would seem to me like the flashbacks of Deadshots and Harley would be more powerful if they were remembering those things um, or they were telling their story in some way than than if it's just Amanda Waller kind of retelling to <laughs> and also in a situation where she's trying to manipulate and get her way. So, mm. I mean, if if this was a more ambitious film, I'd be tempted to say, is there a case of you know, unreliable narrator there, but it's not. It's just it's just a way to edit the film together, I guess. It did feel like I do remember thinking like, oh, we're like twenty, thirty minutes in, and it's just been info dump constantly. Mm-hmm. Like, when is the plot going to start? Like, because it doesn't start in the first act, does it? Like, it's well, you know, the second act starts with now. Let's do some story. Hmm. And also, why not introduce Katana then? <laughs> <laughs> characters. Because... characters just sort of they spend a lot of time on Deadshot and Harley and Amanda Waller and then like when they all get together it's like and the rest and they just sort of like literally just walk on screen I mean I think so many of the film's problems that come in the middle acts in well so many of the problems that the film has when we go on the when we finally go on the mission are bedded in that opening half hour so, for instance, you, I mean, you talk about not introducing Katana. That's strange. It's strange that she just hops into the middle of the film and is there. Never really says or does anything beyond the fact that she has that sword. Never really influences the plot. The same can be said about Captain Boomerang. Never really does anything. Never really impacts the plot. Killer Croc, kind of. But, I mean, the the only thing that he does, Scott Eastwood is there to do as well. Um... In, in terms of the kind of the messy origins of those characters, um, that I think is, again, uh, the fault of, you know, doing that origin in kind of like a chunk here in this dossier bit. And then another bit when we meet Harley and then, oh, she's having a flashback here. And, oh, Will Smith's just remembered something about his daughter. <laughs> it, it all it all seems clumsy to me. But the, the worst uh, offence, and I think that this is, it was the film's, you know, secret weapon. This is Suicide Squad, and famously in the comics, you know, very early on on the first mission, they kill one of the Suicide Squad. It shows you that these characters are not, you know, they're not um, invulnerable. It's a different status quo. The people who are ostensibly the heroes, not beyond murdering the people on their team if they don't comply. It's such, it's such a great moment. If Slipknot had one of those sequences right at the start, or if all the team were introduced kind of equally weighted, and then we kind of saw how the team dynamic worked out from there, you would get so much good stuff when that when <laughs> that emission kicks in. And when Slipknot runs away, I think everyone in their head is going, well, who's that guy? Not <laughs> Why don't, what do we know about as soon him? As, do we even as soon see as Slipknot, him use his powers? As soon as Slipknot turned up, I was like... Well, I see where this is going. And I <laughs> yeah. kind of, I, like, given that it's called Suicide Squad, for me, one of the bigger things this film does wrong is that it doesn't kill enough people. <laughs> like, I knew, I knew Slipknot was going to die from the moment he turned up zero introduction. You were like, well, that's what's happening to him. But like, when, when Will Smith was announced, I was sure that his function was to be like, We've got movie star Will Smith, but oh, he dies in the first act because this is Suicide Squad and you wouldn't see that coming. Like, that the yeah, film is not half as brave as that. In fact, it's a Will Smith film, if anything. But it still could have had 
a moment that was great like that. Yeah, they, they, they probably weren't ever going to kill off Will Smith, but you, they were going to kill off a member of the team very early on. Now, mm-hmm. so if you compare this to Guardians of the Galaxy, if Guardians of the Galaxy in the middle act had killed any one of those characters, you would have been stunned because they had all been introduced. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, Peter Quill is the lead, but all of the other characters have kind of been introduced on equal footing. Have all got quite a bit of screen time. You understand who they are as characters. If one of those had died at that point, you'd have gone, holy shit. This film could have done that with Slipknot. Mm-hmm. If, it, if he had have had an introductory sequence in that dossier part like the other characters did, or if even they'd have spent a little bit more time on him in the prison or given him any dialogue or showed him using his powers or just anything. Let me, let me ask you a question it on that. And it, and it, Do you think that that was an editing issue or that, that that was how it was meant to play out all the time? I would like to give the filmmakers the benefit of the doubt and say there is a version of this film where that has an impact. Well, um, the but... thing is, though, like he was in none of the publicity, so it's not like they were playing it as a, you know, as him being in the cast and then he died. Like he was in the cast to die. So I kind of, I kind of think it was an intentional joke, and like I have to admit, I found it funny because maybe it's from my comics background, but I have like. I am amused by D-list villains, like, dying in stupid ways. So the idea that this is, like, a guy with a bizarre, like, rope-based gimmick, and, like, what's his thing? He's good with grappling hooks or something? And, like, he, you know, gets his head blown off for trying to climb up a building. Like, to me, that is funny. Like, that's the kind of humour I would expect to see in, like, a Deadpool comic, or, you know, maybe Nick Spencer's Superior Foes. Like, that sort of... That sort of, like... I don't want to say gallows humour, but, you know, just the undercutting of the grandiosity of I am a supervillain with actually you're just an idiot with a gimmick. Like that amused yeah. me. I was amused. You know, I enjoyed it on that level. And I kind of I would have forgiven any lack of development for the characters had they had more moments like that. Yeah. OK. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, I. Yeah, that's a fair enough. um <laughs> defense of that i still think it was <laughs> oh yeah 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 I, like i i don't think it it would have been impossible i think they just weren't going for that like i think if they had if any version of the script had been like intending you to think slipknot was were was like um an equal member of the cast he'd have at least been in the publicity photos which as far as i'm aware he wasn't <laughs> Well, no, he was in the big team shot. Oh, was he? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he he will have had posters, and I think he would have been in the trailers and stuff. Yeah. Um. I certainly, <laughs> I certainly didn't go into this film thinking that Slipknot was going to be any less of a character than El Diablo. Or I didn't go Rock. into this film knowing he was going to be in it. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> going back to all that introductory stuff, I wonder what you guys think about the soundtrack because I. Ooh. That was the moment that had me slapping my head in just... God. Well, see, aside so from... on the nose. <laughs> there, there's one needle drop which worked for me. and It's actually one of my favourite moments of 2016. Um, and it happens when Will Smith, Deadshot, is at <laughs> the gun range. The black skinhead. That really worked for me. 
I really, really liked it. But th- that being said, I have a sort of a unique relationship with that song because I used it for in a montage a couple of we- couple of years back. <laughs> um, but I really loved that moment. I thought it was awesome. But none of the other needle drops worked for me. And no, the soundtrack is where the film really betrays its want to be more like Guardians of the Galaxy and just completely bailing. Um, because, you know, the reason why awesome mix volume one worked so well is because it in, helped us inform the character of peter quill and it, you know plays it plays a big role in the, how the film sort of culminates as well famously every every song was written into the script yeah whereas yes. this one is just pop songs for the sake of pop songs and it's just no I mean, work. it informs the kind of tone, the otherworldliness, the kind of man out of time, man out of place in Guardians of the Galaxy. Some of it is just for a really cool fucking, uh, like, sequence or something, like Cherry Bomb. Just it works for that moment. But, yeah. I mean, in this one, when you're... I mean, I, I think the reason Black Skinhead didn't work for me was just be- was purely because I'd seen... Amanda Waller introduced to Sympathy for the Devil, which, my God, can we have a moratorium on using that in films when a morally grey character is introduced? Harley Quinn, she's a super freak. Super freak. Um, and then, so by the time that we get to a shaved head Will Smith and black skinhead is playing out, I was like... Really? Okay. I think it was just the 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 ones that had come beforehand. I was just like, ah, oh, I'm I am not going to give this the benefit of the doubt whatsoever. And then other stuff like at the moment when Eminem's playing that moment in the trailer where Harley Quinn's like, oh, who said that? Oh no, that was just the vo-. and that's that's a funny line, totally undercut because you can barely hear her saying it underneath Eminem's without me. Um, which, and I mean, none of these films, sorry, none of these songs kind of fit together very well. Like, suddenly yeah, we're listening to Seven M&M Nation to Army. Like, yeah. Yeah, to, to Queen and like, just because, oh, here are songs you've heard of. And we have the most <laughs> monstrous sound, uh, music budget for a how, how much of the budget for this film must have gone on songs? But then... I mean that the the music stuff kind of carries on for most of the first like hour hour and a half of the movie, and by the time we get to the third act, it's been abandoned because I guess they were just there were just so many in the first half that they didn't have any left. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, you're right, Amon. It did really betray kind of a film that didn't have enough confidence in itself. And it's worse for me when it is distracting from moments on screen. So fi- I mean, fine if you want to do one for each different character when you're introducing them in this dossier montage. But after that point, I kind of felt like, okay, well, you know, use something if it's appropriate, but you can, you can, you can probably stop now. And the film did not want to. No, it did not. <laughs> also in that um, montage at the start, we have a couple of cameos. I'm a lot less excited for the flash after seeing him in it live action for two three seconds than i was after comic-con Zack <laughs> <laughs> snyder directed that um brief four five second thing all it all it did was remind me of like hey yeah batman and wonder woman and the flash are out there um and you know batman knows about those two people already why are they not here this isn't a, this isn't a, like an extinction level event could we not have our good heroes on the it, ground yeah like the problem with that is that in within the reality of the film, 
you don't want to be reminded that Batman and Wonder Woman are hanging out. Exactly. Like, I've got to be honest, I was watching the film going, I wonder if Superman's going to turn up. And then it reminded me, like, oh yeah, Superman's dead. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, yeah, Superman's dead. Gotcha. <laughs> with, with those cameos, I just. Batman is my favourite comic book character of all time. Between Batman versus Superman, Batman the Killing Joke, and Suicide Squad, I don't know what DC is doing, but they are ruining this guy. It's <laughs> maddening. It's terrible. I don't know. It, it, just, it, it infuriates me. The way he resuscitates Harley in this and how that scene played out Ooh, is that. so... It just felt... It was so off. And, I mean, it's annoying because a few minutes earlier, they have a scene between Batman and Deadshot, which is actually really cool. I really like that. I was going to say then, that... Yeah, the the Deadshot scene, like, that's a lovely little sequence with Batman. Like, just, just purely standing the there, idea glowering. of him. Yes. <laughs> well, it's more like him not wanting to fight in front of the guy's daughter and mm. sort of you get the sense that he's, you know, ready to protect her rather than attack him. Yeah. Like, but the, I mean, even... know, those are some nice little Batman moments that are true to the character in every potential sense. Yeah, I mean, even the way he sort of glides down, I just thought that that was cool. The way it was shot, that was really cool. But then you got that bit with Harley, and oh my gosh. Yeah, as I say, rescues her, like kisses her, and then punches her in the face. Uh, like, uh, just, but uh, three films Batman starred in this year, and he's just been, it's just been terrible each time. It's, I can't. I can't take another Batman. I got another. I got a Lego Batman movie coming up next year, so I'm. I'm very hopeful for that. Um, but my gosh, man, just what are you doing to the Dark Knight? He's meant to be like your prize. He's meant to be the biggest character you have, and you're just ruining him. You're ruining him. And it's, well, it's let's just, talk about it's... that scene because I've heard people talk about it in numerous ways, and we we are going to talk about the way this film treats its female characters, which is kind of something that you have to do with most superhero movies. This is particularly interesting. And this scene, um, I heard Robbie Collins talking about this on the um, With Simon podcast. Um, Me too. And um, I would say it wasn't entirely the way I'd read the scene, but the way I'd read the scene was... What the hell is going on here? Um, so, Batman goes down to the car. I like that the Joker's not there. That feels like something that informs that relationship, that the Joker has just left Harley there in the car. Mm-hmm. That's fine. That's the that's the last moment the scene kind of is... I'm either confused by it or the reading of the scene is uh, very, very ungenerous because uh, you, you then have Harley wakes up as Batman's trying to save her. He punches her unconscious when she comes at him with a knife. Okay, um, I, I guess that's something you wanted to include. You probably didn't need to, but you did. Batman punching a woman unconscious, then dragging her up, checking her pulse, and then giving her mouth-to-mouth, but in a way that doesn't seem like, you know, kind of like Red Cross-trained CPR, does it? Um, it? There's something strange about it, especially for the man that has just punched her and then laid, laid her prone body on the back of his vehicle. And then she kind of tries to kiss him and he... Does he punch her again at that point? I think he yeah. just... Yeah. yeah. Well, she's like faking. The like, car. She's faking being unconscious and he doesn't notice because he... Presumably because he checks her pulse wearing gloves. But I mean, what is that? What is that scene attempting to do? Because Robbie was saying that the way he saw the scene, it was kind of you know this bloke who's just po- punched a woman unconscious and is then kind of like he is almost like the predator in that situation, kind of like leaning out over her in black, you know, and and 
it's very menacing and the scene is shot from Batman's POV so it's it's an uncomfortable it makes for an uncomfortable watch and I didn't quite read it as that as they were trying to like suggest that Batman had any nefarious motives there but it did seem kind of leery in a like Batman's your hero um, imagine you're Batman right now and imagine you get to kiss Harley because she's hot and we get to look at her butt all the time and oh she's only kidding she wants to kiss you as well but then you're going to punch her and put her away like it it seemed like it was appealing to kind of like the like base instincts of a less of, of the kind of audience that I don't think you should be trying to pander to is that is that I mean is that is that the reason you didn't like it I'm on or you know what was it about that scene that made you feel uncomfortable about his depiction of Batman? It was it was the it was the kissing it was, it was the resuscitation, um, which just it felt really off to me. Um, you know why not use the rebreather which you use to you know go and rescue her and put that to her mouth and maybe try that? It, yeah. it felt like a more logical thing to do. It just and then the way that that scene was shot, as you said, with the whole kiss, it just. It just felt really off. It just felt very un-Batman-like. But then again, you know, this is a Batman who kills now, so I don't know what's going on with... with for, for me, you know, I'd, I'd, I, wasn't, I wasn't on the Batman v Superman podcast, but, you know, anybody who, who who read my Twitter feed at the time would know that I really didn't like um, the portrayal of Batman in that film. And, you know, I've... I'm very uneasy about just how the character is being portrayed right now, and this is just like the another nail in the coffin, or just another indicator. Of just I don't, I don't like what they're doing with this character right now. Is it what they're doing with the character rather than Ben Affleck's performance? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think Ben Affleck is is actually pretty good with, with, with what he's been given to do. Um, I, I I didn't place any of the blame of Batman v Superman at his feet, but they're getting the character fundamentally wrong in Batman v Superman on just a number of different levels for me. And then just with this scene, it's just another case of being so close yet so far in terms of the things I was talking about earlier in terms of the, the bat suit is great. I love the Batmobile. All those little touches are great. But if you don't get the character fundamentally right, that stuff just matters much less. And this is just another indicator that they haven't quite it's just on a fundamental level, they haven't quite understood him, or nobody's got him right yet in this DCEU, which is frustrating for me as a massive fan of Batman. I think part of what they were doing with that scene is trying to say Batman would rather save a criminal's life than let her die. But at the same time, this is a version of Batman who demonstrably does not feel that way. Yeah. So it's kind of, you can't have, like, just in terms of a consistent vision for the DCEU. It feels like they screwed up a bit. Uh, but again, James, you can say, you know, this is a Batman who would rather save the villain than watch it do, and then just let her die. So he could have, in that scene, we could have seen him dive into the water, drag her body up and put her in the back of the Batmobile. Oh, yeah, yeah. He didn't have to, and like, that, repeatedly that, beat the shit yeah. out of her. Mm. Yeah, sure. and there didn't have to be some weird weird kind of sexual aspect to it as well yeah i think i think that's the thing yeah I, I think we should stick with harley and we should also stick with kind of the the gender politics of this film so obviously um on a, on a kind of base level this is a film which when you look across the board you are seeing characters of 
um, you know, different genders, different ethnicities. It looks on paper like a more diverse, inclusive movie. But particularly with with the gender and with Harley, the the amount of attention that is paid to Margot Robbie's posterior during this film <laughs> is borderline absurd. I mean, James, I don't know if you remember that one particular shot of her uh, that David Ayer constructs at the top of the tower. <laughs> I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it was just a two-hour-long ass shot. Like, there was no... They just didn't let up, like, any time she was on screen. Like, and, ed- like, there are ways you can editorially sort of and artistically justify that kind of thing. And I've written before about comics which use, like, the sexuality of a female superhero or more often villain, admittedly, as, like, an oppressive artistic device. This film does not do that. This is, like, pure male gaze. It's just, like look at this attractive woman, isn't she really attractive? Like, there's yeah. no... Like, there are ways you can do Harley Quinn as she is very sexual and that is her choice and something she uses and not make it pandering. And this just goes straight for, look how tiny these hot pants are. Like, there's just no thought behind it. And so I would say that that the way that the film leers at her the way that it spends so much time shooting because it's it's a conscious choice to that regularly shoot harley quinn from behind and from lower angles there is there is a choice that has been made there that this is what we want to show in our movie and for me that then becomes more complicated when you when you delve into the kind of the origin of harley which we do through flashbacks and through her relationship with the joker um who we will also get to um, I know Harley Quinn's origin on the page. I've read Mad Love. I've watched her origin story in the Batman animated series. Um, I've, I, I kind of feel like on the page, I understand what the origin of her character is and what her fundamental relationship is with the Joker and how that relationship functions. And that it is kind of an abusive relationship where... Which is kind of stuck in a cycle of her continually going back to the Joker, despite him kind of repeatedly showing that he's not actually in love with her, that she is more kind of like a prop on his arm arm than her feelings are not reciprocated to the same extent. And also that her creation that, yes, there was there was some kind of there was some there was something in her to begin with that the Joker latched onto, but also that the Joker kind of manipulated her and then tortured her into becoming Harley Quinn. Now, that's my knowledge from the page. On screen, I wasn't sure how much of that was clear to the extent that I didn't know whether that the movie was adapting that faithfully or whether it was trying to do something different. And... If it was trying to do it faithfully and was kind of trying to do this, was trying to subtly say that she had, she was a victim of abuse here, um, that, it, you know, none of it was her choice, that she had been kind of mentally broken down um, and that now she was in a relationship where she loved the Joker more than he loved her. That seemed inconsistent from scene to scene that, or from flashback to flashback. There was one flashback where she was kind of flashing back and kind of like, then she pulls the gun on Deadshot and it's like it was 
it was a traumatic flashback, but the flashback we'd just seen wasn't traumatic. It was it, it in if that was her flashback in her head, it didn't seem like it was traumatic for her at the time. So I just found it very strange and very difficult to unpack what the film was doing. And if there was any of that complexity there, it it seems very troubling to me that the film would then choose to sexualize her to the extent that it does, if that's what they're adapting. I know I've gone on for a long time there about that. <laughs> um, I'm going to be very interested to hear what you think, because obviously as someone who knows the animated show, that's where Harley was created. So you have a, a decent knowledge of her as well. And I wonder what, what you think David Ayer was doing with her in this film in terms of that creation, in terms of that relationship with the Joker and whether I should be, whether I should feel as uncomfortable as I do about the way that he executed that. Yeah, now I, I agree with you in that it could definitely have been much more clearer um, than it was. And it does get to a point where the sort of multiple shots of Margot Robbie it's just it, it just gets too much. It's just it's it's just too much. I mean, Margot Robbie's ass has more screen time than Katana in this film, <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually it's it's actually it's, I'm sure is, if you count up so damning, I'm sure if you count up the actual time, at, at very minimal, it'll be very close. Um, but yeah, it's just at this point, and they they don't really unpack that relationship as much as they could. Um, obviously, I, I mean, think. Do you, do you uh, feel uh, like you uh, left the film knowing what the relationship was between the Joker and Harley, both in the creation of Harley and in the, at the current status quo? Because, like I said, in that in that scene where the car crashes, I thought it was interesting and in telling that the Joker wasn't there anymore. But also, the Joker's subplot through this entire film is him kind of doing everything and anything he can to get Harley back. He definitely, definitely seems more in love quote unquote with Harley than he has in past inclinations but obviously we know that that's not the case so you know it's 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 a it's strange just not clear, right? is it it's not clear. yeah it's yeah yeah I don't it's, know like for me I I thought it was fairly clear that broadly speaking the Joker and Harley were like properly star-crossed or whatever and aside from that one scene where he leaves her which for me, like, it seems in character for me that a villain, no matter how in love, might say, well, you know, Batman's coming and it's leave or die, so see ya. But then, uh, so then, it's, so then the, the origin stuff. Yeah, I mean, I... I think that... I don't think there are, there is much difficulty with that, because for me it was just, it was clear, like, as a psychiatrist she was infatuated with the Joker, like... It has that kind of heightened Gotham Arkham strangeness of clearly anyone who was already borderline, like borderline infatuated with a super criminal, would be mentally ill in the first place and probably wouldn't be a psychiatrist. But that's mm. the history of Batman is yeah, yeah. why are all these crazy people getting together or anything? So I didn't have a necess- necessary problem with that. And I think especially the scene where she uh, jumps into the Acme Chemicals, like I think that they made a very conscious decision there to say like the Joker did not create Harley. He drew her in and she did it to herself. But is that not, but is that not post her being tortured with the electricity to her head? 
Yeah. He straps but... it to that table and puts the electric bolts. And and again, I uh, so the, the slight confusion for me there was, okay, well, this is a scene where the Joker tortures Harley Quinn, but she also is kind of like, oh, yeah, bring it on. You can't, you know, you can't hurt me or whatever. Well, that's so what I mean. I d- I think... Again, I don't know whether it was that she was messed up at that point already or she was on the way there and then he turned her into the full-blown Harley Quinn. Well, I think I think this is a more codependent version of Harley and the Joker than the comics version. I think that's the crucial difference. Like, in, in the comics, she's infatuated with him and he uses her and destroys her over and over again. Like, that's their relationship is he doesn't really give a shit. Whereas in in the in the movie, sorry, it's clear to me that they at least, to a broad extent, felt felt like there was a connection between them, and it was reciprocated to a fair extent. I agree with that. Okay, because they have that they have that beat. There's a couple of beats actually. When um, Harley is dropped into the acid, uh, Joker, at one point he's moving away to abandon her, and then he stops, and then he goes in after her, um, and. And there's also a beat where after Joker rescues Harley and then loses Harley, Harley sort of, she is sad about that. And then so the Joker comes back when, when the Joker comes back and rescues her, she's happy again. So it's like, it's that codependent relationship. But then, but then that, that for me, that, that is then fundamentally veering off from the kind of canonical version in the comics and the animated show that we knew of Harley and one of the criticisms that I've seen of this film a lot is that, oh, well, you know, the the reason that you're misunderstanding the Harley Quinn Joker stuff is because you don't know the source material. Whereas to me, it seems like the most generous reading you can have of this is that it's not like the source material. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm uh, that for me, there was never any question that this is not doing the comics version because the comics version, like the Joker would never come after Harley unless he had a specific use for her in mind. Like... He would, that he just wouldn't go after her. Like she would go after him, but mm. you know, out of sight, out of mind, as far as he's concerned. So I think anyone professing to understand this better because they know the comics is just misinterpreting what's going on. <laughs> that said, I actually I kind of prefer the relationship in this because it gives her a bit more agency and it, it's less like she's deluded and more like they're both just dangerous and insane. And like I think if you're going to do Harley, it makes sense in a way for her to be as sort of dangerous as the Joker and his equal in that sense than it does to have her be like put upon and abused. Like I think that's a, especially given that she's got thousand, like as far as new characters go, as far as characters created in like the 90s and noughties and anything goes, like she is as successful a comics character or cartoon character, as you can have in a superhero universe. Like, it just, it feels like she's always been there. Like, she is the Deadpool uh, at DC. So, I think if you're gonna, if you're gonna put that character on screen and introduce her or realise her for millions more people, you know, it, it makes sense to give it a little rethink and say, like, well, maybe, maybe she's not as, you know, the Joker's victim. Maybe she's, you know, the victim of herself as much as anything. So then my my spin-off question from that for you, Amon, would be, given the Joker's involvement with Harley, he's clearly involved in this film to, you know, add context to Harley, to um, explain how she exists. I understand that it would probably be very difficult to introduce Harley Quinn without including the Joker. 
Do you think we needed him beyond flashbacks? Did he actually end up serving any purpose in the kind of the main plot of the film? No. <laughs> you could have taken him out of the film and it wouldn't have made that much difference. Would you have kept him in the flashbacks? Uh, yeah, I would, I would have kept him. I would have kept him in the flashbacks because that's an, an integral part of sort of the Harley Quinn story. But mm. um, in terms of his actual role in the film, you could have taken it out relatively easily. Um, yeah. Or it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have made that much difference to the overall film if yeah. you took him out. But it's, it's a shame because I've heard like there's like a lot more Joker scenes in the film that were cut out. <laughs> so I'm intrigued to see sort of you know what a different edit of the film might have looked like and whether that would have had more impact. And as, as it is in this situation, it's just there's, there's not enough to really make too much of a statement. Yeah, and I, I almost can't believe it's taken us this long, but what did you guys think of Jared Leto's <laughs> This I was waiting, I've been jumping at the bit to get to this, because I've got two, two like, I've got a, got a bunch of bunch of things to say. The first is that, did he not notice, or at no point did anyone say, like, mate, why are you imitating Jim Carrey in the mask? Because that is entire. this whole performance is just building up to him going, somebody stop me. <laughs> like he is just a uh, sort of rubber-faced gangster talking crazy man and like you just there's no line between him and Jim Carrey in the mask like especially we watched it recently for the podcast and like it it's so close and yet he seems to think he's doing like uh our, our previous guest Sarah Dobbs was talking to me about this on Twitter and she said he's he thinks he's doing acting with a capital A like he seems to think he's Heath Ledgering the Joker but he's not. He's Jim Carrey. <laughs> yeah, nah. The only thing I can unreservedly say that I love about Jared Leto's Joker is that I need that purple jacket in my life. <laughs> um, that purple jacket is awesome. Um, but other than that, it's just his over-the-top stick. It just didn't work for me. And, <laughs> and you know, because I mean, I, I appreciate that, you know, he's trying to do something totally different. And obviously you got a lot of different iterations of the Joker, but with every other sort of, you know, Joker that I've seen or heard, with Mark Hamill, with Jack Nicholson, with Heath Ledger. Cesar Ramirez. <laughs> with yeah. Cesar Ramirez. Even though sort of, you know, they've reinvented it in their own radical way, it's fit the world that they're, that they're in, and it's felt recognizably like Joker, even though it's a radical reinvention, it still feels like Joker. I didn't get that vibe from yeah. Jared Leto. It didn't feel like Joker to me, and it just felt like he was in a different film a lot of the time, which I, is, you know... <laughs> I was trying to put my finger on why he didn't work for me, because I didn't... I, I don't think I hated the character in a way that a lot of people seem to have done. I don't... I've by, by a long way, don't think he is the worst creation in this movie, the worst take on a character in this movie, because hello, Enchantress. Um, but, uh, for me, uh, what, what I realised coming out of the film was, do I want to see a movie where Ben Affleck's Batman goes up against that version of the Joker? <sighs> not really. It doesn't. I'm not excited about that. Do I want to see a movie where Harley Quinn spends the entire movie with the Joker rather than the Suicide Squad? Not really, because I thought Harley's weakest moments were all around the Joker. Um, 
And so why was it that that character, who every other time I've watched that character, I have been transfixed by, why was he not working for me here, despite not hating him? And for me, the Joker has to be two things, or has been two things every other time I've watched him. He has to be kind of, there has to be a creepy, terrifying edge to him. He has to be a legitimately scary villain. I think Jared Leto has that side of things down. I think that there is, I felt uncomfortable all the time when I was watching that character. He felt intimidating. He felt like what the movie was trying to depict, which was a kind of scary, unhinged gangster crime lord of 2016. That's the take that you've decided to go for with that character. That's fine. But he also has to have this... He's the Joker, so he has to be funny and he has to be charismatic and you have to be drawn to him in a kind of like, I know this guy is the worst, but I want to spend time with him and I kind of... Yeah. To an extent, I want to succeed because like like I found Kingpin in Daredevil I wanted him mm-hmm. to just to succeed just to see what happened next because I didn't want him taken off the board and for I me mean, Jared Leto's Joker is scary and creepy but he is not funny and charismatic and for, for me, me that's like, not the Joker like the, a lot of this film part of what I enjoyed about it was that the cast like even the bit players have a lot of charisma like, obviously, Will Smith has more than basically the rest of the cast put together, but Margot Robbie's doing really well. Like, uh, Viola Davis is doing well. Like, Ike basically Baron Holtz, everyone... we should mention. Ike Baron Holtz, very good in the first yeah. act. It would yeah, have been like, nice all... if that had been weaved into the rest of it rather than just... All of those dropped. individual characters, like, despite having garbage material, are made, like, they demand your eyeballs on them. Except for Jared Leto, who is just teeth-grindingly awful. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just it's remarkable almost that they got a cast full of people who are so great and then he is just shitting it up with like his fan film performance think I about just, how I honestly could not like it just couldn't understand how the, how they got it so wrong um and just quickly the other thing i think this version of the joker lacks that makes him difficult is that it's incredibly predictable what he's going to do at any given point. And the thing about the Joker is, yeah, like Batman's a detective and he can't figure out the Joker because he's unpredictable. Whereas in this one, soon as he says, like, oh, are you interested in Harley? You're like, well, that guy's going to get killed. And then mm. what's he doing throughout the whole film? He's trying to get to Harley. Like if Batman had turned even a momentary attention to this version of the Joker, he could have been in the right place at the right time and like caught him with a like, you know, butterfly net or something. Like, it was that simple. Maybe it was, maybe it was Batman who shot him down and we just didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. So, so, like, I think that that is a problem with this version of the Joker and that's what makes it difficult to imagine him going up against Affleck. Hmm. Like, it just... There's no well, menace there or nothing difficult about him. He just seems like a thug with ideas above a station. Also, think about how many memorable lines the Joker has had between Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson. <laughs> and then think about how many memorable lies Jared Leto has in this film. Smoking. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It's, I, joke, it's I genuinely can't remember. Like In my head, I'm thinking of someone going, Sonny boy! And I can't remember if it's the mask or him. <laughs> like, there, there's literally no line. Literally. Oh, dear. Yeah. 
Um, let's get back to the the female characters because um, we did veer off, but we veered off to talk about the Joker in relation to Harley. Um, so I, I think the members of the team. I think you can say that this is you know it's disappointing how little attention Zatanna gets. I think it's disappointing how they choose to dress Enchantress. Um, but for me, what where the kind of where the accusations of the kind of the weird... Because I, I was watching a lot of this film going, I've heard people who've already seen this saying that it's a sexist movie and it has real issues. And for me, because the Harley Quinn stuff was so confused, I couldn't unpack whether it was <laughs> whether it was questionable <laughs> or not. But the the stuff that, that did strike me was especially when we start getting into like what drives these characters forward. Okay, dead like, and they all have kind of like a woman in their life. Will Smith's Deadshot, he's got his daughter. That's his, you know, single motivation to the point, you know, where they will keep reminding us of it all the way through the <laughs> film. Um, this the same goes for um, uh, oh, I've even forgotten his name. Uh, Jay Hernandez is Diablo, um, and that was the really weird one for me in. It's when when we have that kind of vision that Enchantress plants in their head towards the end of the film, where they all see the thing that they really want. That for me seemed like an insanely clumsy scene. Um, like I mean, Age of Ultron was a little bit clumsy with its visions for the characters, but I felt like you could get to the bottom of those, and some of them worked, some of them didn't. This was I found it so strange for Will Smith's character that he wanted to kill Batman. That wasn't something that I'd felt like I'd seen from that character <laughs> in the rest of the film. Just seemed like a reminder of, hey, we're the bad guys because the film has to keep reminding you that the bad guys. Oh my gosh, <laughs> not, that, 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 that really annoyed me. <laughs> very bad, are they? Um, so it, that's that felt weird for Deadshot, but then for Diablo to see his wife who he murdered his wife and his child in a fit of rage essentially that's what the film tells us um for the thing he wants is his wife to be offering him fellatio like that's what's (laughs) happening in that oh well put the kids to bed and then i'm gonna and she's literally kneeling in front of him her head a, a foot away from his crotch as she's saying it it's such a weird scene and then for the film to give the big redemptive moments like this one villain who wants to you know we're going to see this one villain sacrifice himself and redeem himself i would much rather in a comic book movie see a comic book villain have one redemptive moment at the end of the film than see someone who has done something that feels like a more real life kind of thing yes he yes he has these fire powers but in a fit of rage, this gangster murdered his wife and kids. I don't want to see that guy be redeemed at the end. That's the last one of these characters that I want to see be redeemed. Like, maybe, like any of the others who seem comic booky. That feels like the ending. Yeah, and I mean, this, this feels like a very minor quibble, but I got the sense that he didn't murder his children. They were just collateral in the murder of his wife. Well, like, yeah, but that, but it's still it it's still really... the metaphor in what happened there was he lost his temper and killed his entire family, yeah. even if it, even if it was just by exploding in fire. Mm-hmm. You know, that's still a man who murdered his wife and children, and then has a vision of her offering him a blowjob, and then saves the day because now he's the good guy. But even then, the the moment after that, where I think he has a line akin to. 
the Suicide Squad, and now my family. Oh God! <coughs> oh, yeah. that, that was that was such a that was to me that was the Fantastic Four moment of like oh, yeah. when they're standing that, around going like, uh, "Don't say it." No, sorry, I was saying don't. Say it. You, yeah, they were. Saying, I was like, saying it too. Are we are we great? No, we're fantastic or whatever. Like I can't remember the exact thing, but it was that unearned moment. And again, yeah. the, like in Suicide Squad, it has that unknown like. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'd rather be with my old family than see my new one die or something. It's like, what? Your yeah. new you family? Guys, like, you, you guys know don't these guys like 20 minutes. each other. Yeah. You guys flower don't like each other. You've never functioned well as a team. You haven't You've spoken met... to half of them. Yes, half yeah. of them haven't said... Zatanna hasn't said anything. Um, Captain Boomerang and Killer Croc have sat around in the background doing nothing. This The only two characters who have bonded to any extent are Harley and Deadshot. And the one scene in the bar beforehand where... I mean, I hated it when Harley was saying, own that shit. But that was a scene where all of the characters were looking around, realising they were disgusted by each other. That's (laughs) that's how I read that scene. Um, For them then to be, like, coming together, and again, it felt like it kind of wanted to be, like, uh, referencing... It was trying to do the Guardians of the Galaxy thing at the end there as well with the hand-holding and stuff. I mean, that is an earned moment. You've seen these you've seen these characters come together and their unity is what's going to save the day. That's not, that's also not an ending that makes sense for a film about villains on a team. And I mean, Mm -hmm. this is one of the things I wrote in the show notes and I really do want to get into this. Do these characters feel villainous enough for you for a movie that is selling itself as these are the worst of the worst. These are a group of villains fight, joining, teaming up to fight. Because we've seen morally grey superheroes before. We see Marvel have done it with Ant-Man and Iron Man and the Guardians of the Galaxy. These aren't particularly the best guys, but they can learn to be heroic. But this is a film specifically sold on, these are the villains. And then you put charismatic Will Smith up front, who is like a hitman with a heart of gold, which literally, in any normal movie, we have been conditioned by Hollywood to see a hitman who's actually quite a nice guy as the hero. I mean, that's Leon. That's the professional right there. He's the hero of that story. Deadpool shot. He's doing everything for that little girl. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Should I mean, these characters they... not have been villains? <laughs> yeah, it, no. Like, they gave everyone a code, didn't they? Aside from like, I guess Harley didn't. Harley hasn't really got a code, but then she seems so sort of innocently anarchic that you can't help rooting for her anyway. Like, there's no malice well, in her. She's just like a force of nature type. Yeah, and and we see. And we see her crying and we feel for her in that moment. And, uh, and you know, like I said, because of the nature of her kind of creation, she does to me, to an extent, read as a bit of a victim. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the only ones in the, in the group who seemed flat out villainous were the ones that weren't allowed to speak. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that Captain Boomerang is the only one who... who does whatever the hell he wants without feeling remorseful, but he's just so inconsequential to the plot. I mean, there, there's, speaking of Captain Boomer, there's one bit I had to bring up where you, know, you, you bring up the bar scene, he walks out of the bar, leaves the Which team, and then guy. when they're walking out, when they're, when they're doing like the slow more walk after, like two minutes later, he's back in the shot, he's back yeah. in the team. <laughs> but so when, when he walks off, when he walks off, you're like, that is a great joke. If he has left the mo- the movie at that moment, that is such a great punchline. Oh, I've just smashed the app. You guys can go now. And he literally, the first thing he does is stand up and walk away. And like, it it was really funny in the execution. And then he turned back up. Yeah, it does yeah. feel a bit like scene deleted there, doesn't it? Like, yeah. of him changing his mind. No, he never should have been brought. Boomerang's always come back, James. <laughs> Very dumb. I do, feel, I do feel a little bit bad for DC in that regard, in that, you know, the whole um, finale trope now in superhero films of, you know, big thing in the sky, which the villains have to take care of by detonating something. Blue light Marvel did that. Marvel the sky again. Yeah. Yeah, and I I feel bad because like Marvel did that like they were like one of the I wouldn't say one of the first, but they <laughs> did that back they did that back in 2012 with the Avengers, and it's still one of the most lauded sort of superhero films for good reason. Mm. Um, but obviously, I mean, I I so so, so I, I'm a bit sympathetic to DC for that, and that they're getting sort of you know, all this film's getting really beat up uh, because of, because of that reason. At the same time. This film was built or was or was marketed as you know being something very different to the superhero genre, and that whole sort of thing in the sky is the most familiar thing in a film which shouldn't be familiar at yeah, all. Yeah, it's, a, it's mm. a and, such and, and 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 the fact that David Ayer sort of went that way is very surprising to me, given how the film was marketed, given everything he was saying pre-release. To go with that trope is I mean, just. Well, I mean, I, I mean, you compare it to the Avengers. In the Avengers, why is there a blue light shining into the sky? Because Loki has been working with Thanos to enable an, a Chitauri invasion on Earth so Loki can take over the Earth. Yeah. Why is there a blue light shining into the sky in Suicide Squad? Because Enchantress <laughs> wants to do a thing? I, I don't... I, I, she, she says something about building a machine because now these people worship machines... And, and and then you know again compare it to the Avengers. All of the characters are doing different things in different areas, teaming up in cool and exciting ways, um, and all of that's going on in the background. Here, Enchantress is doing some weird dance, 
And Cara Delevingne said, oh, I thought for my character, um, I thought, you know, I could do, I, I decided she would probably have like a posh British accent. Oh, great stretch there, Cara. Um, <laughs> real stretch pulled off there. And in doing so, have turned in one of the single worst performances I've seen in a blockbuster ever. Part of it isn't her fault. But a lot of it still is. That uh, the line delivery is horrendous. The body, like the way that she moves her body, not just in the dancing, but even just the way that she <laughs> walks. I mean, uh, we've been watching a film for one of our pre-records, which I'm not going to tell you what it is. But there is a truly, truly absurd villain in a film that we are getting to in this podcast, and um. It's a very, very bad superhero movie. The villain in that... Um, uh, so, you, people will know what this is um, in two episodes' time. Um, the villain in that is better than the villain in this. <laughs> and that is... Wow. that is say, Yeah, James knows what that is, and you'll all know this in the future, guys. I'm on, I'll tell you off mic. Um, okay. <laughs> but it's... I think, I think I have an idea, but okay. But <laughs> truly, truly insane to me how bad this villain is in design, in motivations, in... Um, in the the visuals of what she's doing, in the coherency of her plan. And for me, this is the most crucial thing. If you're doing Suicide Squad, if you're doing if you're putting these characters together, then it makes sense to match them against a villain on their level. Or at least <laughs> it would make sense for there to be a character who at least, you know, someone like Captain Boomerang or Harley Quinn can walk in and have some impact against. But they can't here beyond ridiculous stuff like, oh, Katana's sword happens to have fallen just in front of Enchantress and Harley Quinn will have a moment that betrays everything else we know about her character um, to defeat her. Um, it's- I, t- I, t- I tell you the worst thing about that 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 final battle scene for me by far was the fact that and this is just just thinking about it annoys me but when so that they're doing the final battle scene and they take out Enchantress's brother and then Enchantress who we've established beforehand is basically very very powerful has all sorts of tricks that she can do decides to engage each member of the Suicide Squad in fisticuffs for two minutes then goes back to her original position, says enough, yeah. and then telekinetically removes all their weapons. Yeah. Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> you could have done that two minutes ago. What was the point of fighting them with fisticuffs if you could just do that? It she just say, annoyed she, me. She does say, uh, of all the people I faced, you have earned mercy. <laughs> like, she likes them, that's why. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I I feel like the film needed to do one of two things. It needed to either have a different villain who was on their kind of power level. Um, I, 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 I was stunned that this film was doing a villain plot that was an extinction apocalypse level event, which seems like something you say for heroes who are on that level like i wouldn't want ant-man to walk into a fight with thanos at the end of his movie right like even <laughs> you wouldn't want batman to be fighting the enchantress even would you because like this 
You know, no. it doesn't make sense. Like, there's well, no... So then, then the other thing that you, you do, then, is if Enchantress is your villain, these aren't the members of your team. Maybe you have Will Smith and Margot Robbie, but then, because they are what the film is primarily concerned with. But when Captain Boomerang and Killer Croc and Katana and people like that are around, but not doing anything then surely they're replaceable. So then replace them. I would say probably the easier thing to do is build the team that has the best chemistry, give them all something to do, and then put a villain in place that makes sense for them. Um, The only slightly interesting thing that I thought that the film could be going for there was that this was... Uh, that June Moon Enchantress was a member of the team and it was something that Amanda Waller fucked up on, that it was her mistake and she was having to send her own people off to clean it up. I think it would have been a much more interesting movie if Amanda Waller had intentionally unleashed Enchantress to prove to the world that they needed her Suicide Squad. Uh, That would have been even better for the Amanda Waller character and would have been a much more interesting take on this film i you know a much I mean, more interesting I idea like, to explore i feel like i've seen that trope a lot like i think it would have made a more interesting film in that the one we got didn't really make any sense <laughs> but i'm not sure it would have been hmm. a good idea i just think if there want... if there has to be an idea at the center of this film yeah so yeah. The, the the idea right i think if you're being charitable the idea you say here is uh, so they they explain the whole superman thing which i think actually as a movie that sits between Batman v Superman and the rest of the DCU going forward with Wonder Woman, The Flash, Justice League, this film, I think, is a good choice, actually, as that bridge, as, mm-hmm. hey, this is a world about Superman. Who do we turn to? This film makes a lot more sense in the DCEU here after Superman's died and before Batman has assembled the Justice League. Um but then but what what i then want is then for the film at its center to be about something so amanda waller has put together this team you know they're the worst of the worst but you know we can make them do what we want because we need to control these metahumans well half of these people aren't metahumans so that's slightly strange that like boomerang i didn't think was they do Harley's kind of justify not. that by saying like oh he fought a metahuman to send to and lived like well the flash wasn't going to kill him yeah but, you know. uh, mm. uh, but but yeah so then i would think the interesting thing could be okay so in kind of this modern warfare world this suicide squad are almost like the deterrent you know we showed you know mm-hmm. we've got this team that we can put out there but the film never gets anywhere close to that you know um or like a government funded superheroes or you know re reconditioning programming villains to work for you um it works from purely a standpoint of let's introduce this amanda waller character and show what a fucking badass she is and the <laughs> length she will go to um and that is a character i want more that, than this that scene where she kills the <laughs> the like army guys <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Or, well, you know, the guys who are in her, like, briefing room, and she just, like, cold blue yeah. mid as a lot of them. I was laughing so hard because I just thought that's, <laughs> like, it's so brutal, and yet, <laughs> like, it's such a statement for the character. I just, I found it hilarious. I, 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 I like that scene, but at the same time, if they don't have clearance, what are they doing there? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it, was, it, was, it was just, it was like, I mean, it's a cool scene. I know, I know, I know what they're trying to do, and they, they, it works, but. 
why are they down there if they don't have clearance in the first place? It just I mean, I've got to admit, like, actually, I like. I thought I was following the plot quite well, and then it turned out at some point, like, oh, actually, I didn't understand what was going on. Because I, I, I was agree. watching the and, film going, yeah. like, oh, they're going in to get Enchantress, and, like, they can't kill June Waller. Exactly. And then it's like, yep. they turn up in this building. I'm like, why are they, what, what are they doing in the building? And then Amanda Waller's in there. Sorry. Yeah. yeah I so I think that June they had been... That, yeah, uh, they'd been sent in, I think, initially to take out the threat. The threat was a lot worse than they thought it was, so they got diverted to first save Amanda Waller, and then Amanda Waller said, no, you're not going anywhere, now go and stop Enchantress. Um, That does remind me, though, of one of my... uh, I think the single most damning 30 seconds of this movie, which for me was just like... How how has the film got to this point where we are having a flashback to a scene where so Will Smith's Deadshot has just found out what you know that actually <laughs> June Moon Enchantress was Amanda Waller's fault and was Rick Flagg's fault and um you know that they're actually being sent in as patsies because these guys fucked up and they're just like clearing up their mess. They're not even saving the world from a terrorist threat. They're cleaning up the mess that the people who are controlling them created. And yet they're calling them the bad guys. Okay. That's a nice idea. It's a nice realization for Will Smith to come to. Um, We then watch a flashback of a scene that the characters don't know. But we as audience members know exactly what happened. We we know exactly what happened. And they add in maybe two seconds of extra footage as if it teaches us something new, as if there is some new reveal in that flashback. No, you are just repeating to the audience something we've known the whole way through because the characters don't know it already. I mean, I want, for me, I wonder if, I wonder if the intention with that scene was... You're supposed to wonder whether Flag intentionally let June Moon go because he's in love with her or whatever. But like that. But then, but then it would have to. But then it would have to. It would have to show you something. Dif- it would have to show you well, something that, yeah, that made that's... you believe something different at the start. If in the if at the start of the film you'd believed that Rick Flag had let June Moon go, but there was nothing in the depiction of that scene. She turned into Enchantress. Yeah, I mean, and because she'd stolen the heart. We we knew all that. Well, that we knew it's, thing, that like, is incompetent filmmaking. As, that is fully as incompetent. As the scene goes, he he says like, "Let out the enchantress," and then we see the we hear the radio thing saying, "Oh, she bolted," and it's like there's a fraction of uncertainty there. Like, did he let her go? But there's no implication that he let her go. Like, I I was watching I that going, "Oh, that was a very." A clear, I was that. watching it going, "That wasn't clear." Like, whether he let her go or whether she. Uh, escaped on her own but I don't think I mean, that's a, half of the course for this well movie. yeah exactly like adding a flashback later on we, which shows us what actually happened it doesn't play off any previous implication it just clears up something that was unclear before and you know we'd already seen the film where she had escaped and found the heart without, without his knowledge so I didn't ever think that she was complicit there no <sighs> That uh, yeah, I mean for me that's just a it's a terrible terrible character. It's a terrible uh, you know execution of that plan. I, I could I flat I couldn't believe when we were watching that flashback. I was like, uh, 
This this might be me at my wit's end. <laughs> to go back to that earlier question, guys, do you do you think the film does it have a central kind of message and idea that's driving it forward? Not really. I mean, I think there there is a theme of even bad people have like emotions. <laughs> like there, if if there's any theme in the film, it is that. But then allow them to be bad. Show us in the course of the film them being bad. They just all fight the Last of Us zombies and then carry on. They don't actually do bad things during the course of the film. Will Smith's Deadshot is a flat-out hero trope. Margot Robbie is um, a, a, a charismatic, unhinged, but ultimately seems to be kind of good, good-hearted character. Like. Uh, she doesn't seem to me someone like because she because she strikes up that relationship with Will Smith. She doesn't even seem like the character who I feel in the comics is kind of like, yeah, you you kind of like her, but you also get the sense that she's willing to let anyone and everyone around her die apart from the Joker because she just doesn't have it's any sense like, of investment that, in human life. It's that bit where she says something like, "You're my friend, silly," or something like that's. Like you're you're watching that going like yeah we're her friend because like, I mean who there, who on that team? no one on the team who you don't root for in some small sense like no one no one feels bad enough to actually and the one be a the one that I but the one that I was fully disgusted by was Diablo because he murdered his wife and kids and he's the one that they give the redemption the redemption arc to well, like that, in fairness he he's the one who seems to feel remorse for killing like he is i just feel like that's the wrong like i think that's the wrong choice something that has kind of like unpleasant real world parallels i think it would make more sense in this comic book movie when you have characters like the joker and harley quinn to not do that stuff with a guy who, yeah, murdered his wife and child in a fit of rage. I, I, I really, that whole stuff with Diablo made me feel very uncomfortable. And to go back to the the kind of the race stuff that I said earlier, um, you know, that I found kind of troubling on the same level that I did the the gender stuff. Yes, this is a more diverse team on paper. Um, I almost feel like it's. It's a little bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card when you cast someone like Will Smith, who is already a legitimate, you know, mega-movie star in his own right. And then... But, I mean, it's obviously a good start to have someone like Will Smith on the team other than just, you know, a sea of, you know, the same white faces. But then when you have a character like Diablo, who is kind of like the Latino representation, who is a kind of... Bad cliche of like Latino gang member. Yeah, I did. And I did then see. Katana doesn't get to say anything. And yeah, I, 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 I mean, Commons on screen for what thirty seconds before he gets murdered. Yeah. Um, Adewale Akinoye Baje is buried beneath that makeup. Also, doesn't get to say <laughs> when anything. He, when he spoke in the bar scene, I was like, oh, he can talk. <laughs> <laughs> they left it very good pronunciation by the way of the name nice job <laughs> I, lo- I mean I- I'll be honest I love Adewale I, I have loved him oh yeah I'm a big fan I've gone back and watched other stuff gone back and watched Loki stuff um, that he's been in and 
he is uh well this is another superhero movie that he's be, he's been treated very badly by um i loved the character design um when i saw it it weirdly i didn't think looked as good in motion on the screen um and the 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 stuff that they did with his dialogue i don't know it was weird it, it didn't it it didn't work for me in a way that it for i thought it would because i was in the bag for that character going into this film um, it t- it took me it sometimes took me a couple of seconds to understood to to understand what he said yeah. um with Alawale. I mean he's the one he's the one they say like he they treat him like a monster so he acts like one but he like he doesn't he's when he finally talks he just seems like dim but nice. Yeah and but, but again and that treating him like a monster so he acts like one. Okay so he's not really a bad guy either. Yeah. Well none of yeah, none of them they're all they're all good people with hearts of coal. I mean, Deadpool does a much better version of, like, Deadpool is more of a villain than any of these characters are villains. Mm -hmm. And that's not a film that presented him as a villain. It presented him as an unconventional hero. Um, I think when there are so many unconventional heroes out there, you have to go a lot further. (laughs) And this film dials It's interesting, though, that, I mean, I agree with everything you're saying, and just thinking about it, the Suicide Squad... In some ways, a couple of the characters, at least, are more heroic than many of the characters we've seen in other superhero films this yeah. year. <laughs> Deadshot is um, more of a hero than Deadpool. Absolutely. I mean, how much? Like, yeah. you have to wonder how much of that is Will Smith because, like, the line wasn't in the film, but in the trailer, there's that thing of him saying, "Like, let's go save the world," and it's like, he's just he's Will Smith. He can't yeah. can't help that. <laughs> like, it's just who he is. <laughs> I feel like he'd be saying that just around, you know, the breakfast table or whatever. <laughs> I would watch a solo Deadshot movie. I don't know about you guys, where it is Deadshot as a hero. <laughs> I mean, we basically did, right? Because <laughs> like, if any character's got anything close to an arc, yeah, it's him yeah. being like he's the one who's got motivation for towing the line. He's the one who discovers the major plot beats and says like assumes sort of leadership like you get the sense that at the end of the film maybe he's a bit nicer than he was <laughs> like he's still I, uh, you know it just if any if any character has an arc it's him but i'm not sure i'm not sure even he does i think rick flag has an arc um i think harley has a small one um amanda waller has an arc um but I mean, every, everyone else beyond them. I, see, I, do feel I like think they are the, the characters. characters. Most of the characters start and end the film in the same place. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there is. I think there's. I, I think there is. There is growth and movement for Flag Waller. I'm not even sure Deadshot has a huge one, but he just gets most of the screen time, and he's Will Smith, and he's charismatic, and he's great. And I think Harley has a small one, um, but yeah, it's not. It's <laughs> not great. Has it? I actually he doesn't have an arc. He has kind of a cliff. <laughs> he nice. definitely, yeah. definitely changes throughout the course of the film <laughs> yes from having a head to not having one <laughs> um, but yeah I said at the start of the podcast that I thought there was I think I said three so I would say there's, there were four characters that I would happily see more of those are Harley Quinn um, I'm not particularly interested in seeing more of her with Joker or with the Suicide Squad, but I would like to see more of her. And given that we're getting a solo Harley Quinn movie or a, a Harley Quinn focused movie that is apparently going to shine a light on more female characters in the DCEU, 
Um, that sounds intriguing to me. I would happily watch more of... I didn't like him at the start of the film, but I like Joel Kinnaman in general, and I thought by the end of the film, the Will Smith-Joel Kinnaman double act works really well, and I'd actually kind of like to see a buddy cop-style movie in the <laughs> DCU that is just those two. Like, the, you know, the the one who just don't give a shit and the one who wants to do things by the book. You know, that's that's what you've set up those tropes and you've got Joel Kinnaman and Will Smith. Go. Fine. That's great. I, um, and then the other one is Amanda Waller, who I would be happy to see her as the evil Nick Fury for the rest of the DCU and kind of hanging around um, and pulling strings. She and, was a bit like if Nick Fury actually meant business, wasn't, wasn't she? like yeah. she's not playing games she's like literally straight up executing people again away and it's viola Absolutely. davis who's a fantastic actress and i think mm-hmm. that that might be the one thing that in terms of the you know the the racial representation okay well yeah you're you did end up having the two best characters in your film um you know you cast them with black actors and they were great but you did also hire the probably the two I, I think Viola Davis is almost like she's the black Meryl Streep. She is the one person that you know you can cast in your movie in almost any role and she'll turn up and she'll be great. And I like the fact that, I mean, obviously, it's a, not turning the character at all, but if you look at Harley and they look at Viola Davis, um, Amanda Waller, Amanda Waller's not sexualized at all in any way, mm. which is great. Which um, is something that I've so, read that the comics have been criticised for because around the New 52 era, they kind of rewrote her as like young attractive slinky yep. Amanda Waller after they had that, that and that's kind of the version they have well. in Arrow as well isn't it yeah yeah I just yeah <laughs> so, I yeah. also wanted to say we haven't we haven't really mentioned him a lot but I mean although the character is not featured that much he's kind of inconsequential Jai Courtney is good as Captain Boomerang I enjoyed him he was funny yeah I like I I was watching it wondering like how much of me liking Captain Boomerang is me liking the Marvel villain Boomerang but like I I sort of felt like mm. Captain Boomerang was he was like he was a small time crook with a gimmick and again as I was saying before that's like that's right in my wheelhouse that's the sort of thing I enjoy about superhero comics yeah, I just um, didn't think he had any place in this film. And what was with the pink unicorn? Yeah, oh, no. that's funny. If you have context to it, like yeah. it's not just funny that he carries that, a soft that soy. That was one of those things. That's not that, a joke in and of itself. That was one of those things that maybe I don't know if that's in the comics. It made me think that's uh, that's something they've added in reshoots because they think it might happen in Deadpool. That's like the bloke walking down the t- down the street wearing a wacky t-shirt, and you're like, oh, he's oh, he's that's a funny thing that he's. That's not funny. It's just a bloke wearing a wacky t-shirt. It's, yeah. <laughs> I also I have a question about Captain Boomerang. I know that in the flashback, I think we saw him kill a cop, but does that really warrant a triple life sentence? How 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 did he get a triple life sentence? <laughs> that, that, that felt really strange to me. Maybe he killed. I mean, a there lot was of, a uh, lot of policemen. <laughs> it says a lot about the, you know, kind of the lack of establishment of how bad these people are or that they are flat out villains is that when they all get put back in the prison at the end and you hear Jai Courtney say, oh, 10 years off a triple life sentence, you do feel like these villains are being hard done by, which <sighs> I don't know. Just have some courage in your convictions, DC. If you are making a film about villains, make it about villains. And yeah, these... These characters were just never bad enough for me. 
I agree. I agree with that. Shall we wrap up our discussion, though, guys, by talking about the the things we did like? Uh, were, were there were there any things that you'd really like to highlight and say, look, okay, this movie didn't work for a number of reasons, but this specifically I enjoyed. I wanted to. I mean, this isn't something that quote unquote work, but when we were talking about the visions, I was just thinking about how that scene could have been better because I mean the. Obviously, in the film, everyone has their sort of epiphany at the same time and you know, realizes that you know it's not real and whatever. How good would it have been if one or two <clears throat> of the Suicide Squad members had sort of held on to that vision and then fought their own teammates? That would have really shaken things up in the final act, I think. Well, it, it would have given some of the characters something to do, given that, like, like I said, their powers don't match against Enchantress whatsoever. So yeah, that would that would I certainly. I assume a, Captain Boomerang's vision would have involved a pink unicorn, but they didn't put that in there. <laughs> no, <laughs> which did not. It felt strange <laughs> to me. I mean, that was another occasion where, like, okay, we're, so we're seeing divisions of all these characters. No, we're seeing divisions of Harley and Deadshot, and also the character who is who we need to be important in the next five minutes. Um, Zatanna, no. Boomerang, no. Killer Croc, Katana, he's downstairs. Sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, and, um, and who, who, oh shit, who am I thinking of here? And Rick Flagg, does he get, does he get the vision? I can't even remember. No, I don't. I think so. Does he remember being with June, maybe? I mean, it says a lot that I can't remember. Yeah. I, I, that that character for me, like I say, I ended up liking him because of Joel Kinnaman. I, that, it was very interesting. I was trying to think because obviously Tom Hardy was originally cast in that role, how that would have worked. Um, I think Tom Hardy probably... I mean, the, the rumour was at the time that he left the role because he didn't feel like the character had enough to do. Um, he doesn't have... He certainly doesn't have enough interesting to do. Um, but I thought it was credit to Joel Kinnaman script- that by the end of the movie he was vaguely interesting. I think Tom Hardy said the script was, and I'm quoting here, Ali, uh, whatever that means. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, in terms of one scene I did like, I mean, even though you know, you know the the villains are like Last of Last of Us knockoffs, as you said, Joe, I did like the scene where Deadshot gets on top of a car and just starts mowing down. Oh yeah, that is like, good. Yeah, that is very. That good. is really cool. I'll tell you what they reminded really me of, and it wasn't the only time that I was reminded of this franchise. I've mentioned it on another recent podcast. Um, but it reminded me of the one really badass moment in um, the new Ghostbusters remake where Kate McKinnon's character suddenly get this gets this awesome like villain slow-mo action scene with the like music, the the iconic Ghostbusters theme playing in the background. And it's great. And yes, that remind that reminded me of that there, where I was like, "Oh, suddenly Will Smith is getting this finally like a dynamic action moment that feels like something <laughs> distinct to this movie." Where like I'm going, that looks cool. Unfortunately, the other thing that reminded me of Ghostbusters was Enchantress <laughs> being Zool, um, being Sigourney. <laughs> not play collapse like Sigourney Weaver's amazing in Ghostbusters because she's playing that that's that whole her being inhabited by Zool is that's comedy this was this was Cara Delevingne playing that seriously 
I've got to admit, I'm slightly, I've, I'm slightly inherently biased against Cara Delevingne because I didn't know it was possible for a person to come from that like degree of privilege. Like she, she <laughs> has the most absurd, rich aristocracy background, and also looks like Cara Delevingne. Like, uh, there has to be something that you don't get a break with in life, and thankfully, that is acting ability. So at least say, you can have some It was a period Ooh. suicide squad. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll also say just an observation of this film, but. This film has a case of helicopterism. <laughs> no helicopter survives this film. Any time a character gets in the helicopter, that helicopter gets shut down. It's insane. <laughs> Helicopters are notoriously difficult to keep in the air. Especially when you're shooting this missiles at them. I just said that, I mean, I thought Stephen Price's score, especially the theme, was memorable while I was watching it. It's not memorable afterwards, really, but... It's memorable enough while you're watching it, and it's a you know it's a solid piece of work in terms of music. It's a shame it's so uh, obscured by all that soundtrack nonsense in the first yeah. ninety minutes. Of- yeah, there, actually, there's that yeah. the bit when when uh, Diablo is telling them about him killing his wife and family, they they cut out all the music, and I I remember thinking like, oh, that was quite a nice touch. They took the music off when it like. When it was getting really, you know, deep and, well, maybe not deep. When they were trying to, like, squeeze some emotion out of it. Hmm. And, like, you know, it's a it's a cheap device, but I found myself appreciating it. Yeah, I, I, I think... I think the thing that I just want to mention that I really did like and... Um, I, because I, I, you know, I've beat up on this movie a lot, but... It shouldn't be understated quite how good Margot Robbie is as Harley Quinn. And it's a different take on the character from the established version. Um, I think the wardrobe is slightly disappointing, although you can't disagree that it is iconic and there are going to be people dressing up in Halloween for that until she gets a new outfit. Um, And, uh, I mean, Margot Robbie kills it and even with lines that aren't funny her delivery and her little mannerisms and everything that she does is sublime and that is a case of taking a character who has a pre-existing like iconic version doing something different with the character but you know inhabiting what that character is on the page i mean yeah yeah i can't wait to see more of her this is something i feel quite strongly about is that they the version of Harley they do in this film is like obviously nothing like the sort of cartoon version and the version that persisted afterwards for sort of 10 years maybe. But as she is currently portrayed, I think this is a really good interpretation or like translation of the character from the comics. Like whether you agree with recognizably a version yeah, recognizably a version of that. Whether you agree with the way they've taken the character pretty much since the Arkham games were like, hey, how about Harley Quinn who doesn't wear much? Like, because that's where that came from. Mm. Like, I think they've done a good job of translating the character. Like, Marvel get a lot of praise for for bringing the characters to life without checking away what works about them. And I think they've done that 
with Harley Quinn here. And yeah, like yeah. the fact that, you know, you, you watch this film and all you can think is like Deadshot, <laughs> Deadshot deserves his own film and Harley Quinn deserves her own film and the rest of them can, you know. I was sorry, I also, I'd also watch an Amanda Waller film. Because I love Bad Games that much. <laughs> yeah. I thought she was great. And, yeah, I think um, she's. And also, so wanna, in terms, I just want to see her popping back up in everything. I think Deadshot deserves his own film yeah. because it's Will Smith, and it didn't. It it wouldn't necessarily have to be Deadshot. It's just do do another Will Smith film. <laughs> like, I mean, they could they could have done a version of that character that didn't work though. Like, it's not a foregone conclusion that Will Smith equals lead lead dude. No, but their version of it was Will Smith playing Will Smith hero. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure Will Smith has turned in that exact same performance in other films. It's just <laughs> in this fr- my film. Friend said to me, like, line of dialogue is reminding you that he's a bad guy. My friend, when I was saying about how Will Smith is just, you know, he is being Will Smith. My friend said to me, like, welcome to Earth 2. And I was like, oh, yeah, that works. <laughs> There's your pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to um, say one more thing that I did like. Um, Joe, I know how much you love uh, Enchantress, but there's one. <laughs> there was one moment where I thought it was really cool where uh, June first, I think it's for the first time, maybe not, for, but it's, it's, it's quite early on in the film. She morphs into Enchantress and a black hand comes underneath her normal hand yes. as she transforms. Yeah. It's a really creepy effect, which is actually really cool. Yeah. Nice bit of CGI. I mean, that's that's. I mean, that probably goes back to the stuff you were saying right at the start of the podcast. I'm on. It is frustrating when you see something as visually interesting, well executed as that. That the that the kind of the big stretches of the film are so underwhelming that the you know that Ayer's got that in his locker, but what he gets, set, what our team gets sent off to do is to fight faceless things down a street fight some faceless things up an office building and then fight faceless things into a building and then face off against the worst villain who's been in a comic book movie <laughs> she doesn't even do anything she uh, just stands there just oh and gyrates and oh uh, no uh, d- no bad 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 James so bad <laughs> so bad just, I, everything about it I can't I just can't hate it because it's an interesting failure and as opposed yeah. to... Is it? Brant Forstick. Yeah, like, Fantastic Four just I felt like... I prefer Doctor Doom. prefer Doctor Doom. No, name me another... Name me another bad no, villain. No, you do not. Name, name, no, name me some bad villains. Not. Name me some bad villains. Malekith. Prefer Malekith. Oh, bullshit. Bullshit. No. <laughs> nope. Nope. Name me another one. Name me another one. Just... Uh, Venom in Spider-Man 3. Yep, prefer Which Venom. Because... Uh, what? Come on. I genuinely, at this moment, can't think... Because as well, I know what all of those characters want to do. There's not a there's not a frame of Malekith that is as remotely interesting as that like hand turning CGI scene we just spoke about. Like not a frame. There's not there's nothing in yeah. Malekith that is remotely as bad as the gyrating well, that's the thing, or though, the like... line delivery <laughs> she... or the lack of any motivation or. Um, semblance of idea of what she is trying to achieve this is like i just think interesting one cool shot like, on the hand does not a villain make yeah you could not have you could not have chosen that performance like you could not have picked it from any other film and said do it like that like it's just so crazy and like yes bad james i literally just referenced ghostbusters <laughs> 
I just think like parallax. I just think uh, interesting. I haven't seen Green Lantern, so I can't can't go okay. with that. Like just I just think interesting <laughs> failure is always more like more engaging than bland Malekith. Like okay. that's all I can say. Like I know Malekith is probably more narratively complete, but Enchantress is just his costume is also more crazy. complete. There is fabric in his costume. <laughs> <laughs> Praise be the gods. For me, competent but bad trumps bad, 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 bad. It's bad. <laughs> I'm going to watch okay, it again. I, I, just, I feel I can't, like maybe I could be more strong on this. I can't could I be more strong on this? I'm going to watch this film again, and that's something I'm not 100% on with Batman vs. Superman. And a Fantastic Four, and even Amazing Spider Man 2, like. Aside from the fact that we'll, we will be watching Amazing Spider-Man 2... Aside from the fact that we'll be watching Amazing Spider-Man 2 for this podcast, I've got no interest in seeing it again. <laughs> this is, I mean, James, James just... me, you and I aren't often in this position. I watched this film and thought, I would watch Batman v Superman five times in a row before I revisit that. <laughs> wow. Wow. And the Ultimate Edition as well. Give me the extra scenes. <laughs> You'd have to I thought Suicide Squad was better than Clockwork Orange style Leader Vigo technique see, all, all I can say is I'm not sure oh. this is a better film Than Batman v Superman But it is a shorter film So I enjoyed myself more With Suicide Squad Than Batman yeah, v Superman for sure I can for say sure. that For sure Even just for Will sure. Smith Like If Ben Affleck was Entirely Batman v Superman Maybe it could compete but it's just a bad Will Smith film is still watchable, and that's what this is. Wild Wild West is a better movie than this. I just want to. I just want to keep saying ridiculous statements, <laughs> but I do believe in them. Honestly, I believe in them. The only thing Joe, I dislike I'm... more than Suicide Squad is Enchantress in Suicide Squad. How would the duck? How would the duck <laughs> or Suicide Squad? How would the duck every day? Oh, oh talk about in- talk about interesting and bad. Oh, I love me somehow. <laughs> and it's got Hunger City, which is, you know, so a better better soundtrack oh, yeah, than this one's got as well. <laughs> Joe, I, Joe I'm, a, I'm a little bit unclear on where you stand. <laughs> it's all right, wasn't it? It's yeah. okay. <laughs> um, and just finally, guys, before we move on to uh, the comic book recommendations... Um, what did you think of the mid-credits scene? We get Ben Affleck back as Bruce Wayne meeting Amanda Waller to receive some information and also make clear that both of those characters are well aware of what Batman does after dark. Or what Bruce <laughs> Wayne does after dark as Batman. I, I liked that revelation that um, Amanda Waller knows about that Bruce Wayne is yes, Batman. Yes, I did as well. But my two, my two main takeaways from that are this. One, Bruce Wayne, please do your tie properly. <laughs> Learn how to do a tie. Gosh, it bothered me. It really did. You're meant to be Bruce Wayne. Do a tie properly, man. Alfred, help a brother out. Oh. But... The other thing was that, look, with, with Marvel's um, post-credit scenes, they are teasing stuff which is going to happen in in a better way in that, you know, we, we don't know the, the stuff which they're teasing hasn't already been confirmed. We, we, we don't know about it. In this one, we've seen the whole Justice League trailer teasing that, you know, Batman is going to get the Justice League together. And yeah. all this 
scene is doing is saying Batman is going to get a Justice League together. We already know this. So the, 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 there's no excitement for me with that. The, the, only, the only cool thing I took away from it is that, um, you know, the Waller knows uh, that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Okay. But the actual scene itself was just like, meh. Yeah. It takes I, a bit I, of I enjoyed, for me, if anything. I enjoyed seeing Ben Affleck again. Because <laughs> I, you know, I like Ben yeah. Affleck and I like his Bruce Wayne and I like his Batman. So anytime you can get him on screen, like, I'm there for it. But, yeah, like... <laughs> Surely it's more interesting uh, in that universe for Batman, who is a detective, to weed out and find these metahumans by himself rather than being given a dossier, a dossier by somebody else. Surely he could find Aquaman on his own. We know he's already got information on the Flash, so he doesn't need that. Um, I mean, I think it sort of undermines Batman as a character, even, to have, like... To be working with her? To be offering her protection? To be in the thrall of her. Because, like, she essentially said, like, you know, I'm smarter than you, I know you're Batman. And it's like, well, that demolishes the Batman conceit. Like... If it's possible, not only to, that, but the way the way in like what, just if it's possible to figure out that Bruce Wayne is Batman, and people can do it, and he lets them, like he his position is untenable. So I don't. I, 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 do I can I can give him a little bit of wiggle room there in that it just if if the premise is only someone as badass as Amanda Waller can find that out, so it it, it can strengthen her character. Um, rather than the other way yeah, around. No, I like that, but when it comes to the reveal of these sort of big, um, sort of, you know, secret identities, they need to make it more dramatic <laughs> because it was a similar thing with Batman v Superman. When Superman and Batman first revealed their secret identities to each other, it should be a massive thing. Again, I'm going to sort of, you know, uh, give an animated movie, movie as an example, but there's a animated movie from a few years back now called um, uh, Batman and Superman World's Finest, um, in which um, it's the first meeting between Batman and Superman in the DC animated universe. And the way in which Batman and Superman find out about each other is handled spectacularly. It's a big moment. It shows off the skills of of both of each character in Batman in Batman v Superman, you know we just you know before the big fight, Superman flies down and says, "Bruce, we need to stop," and that's how we get confirmation that he knows, which is just it's just rubbish. And now with this, you know, again, in I, I'm gonna because I love my cartoons, so excuse me, but the in in the Justice League when Waller reveals to Batman that she knows who he is. It's an awesome, dramatic moment. And this is just there. And, you know, it it, it, it just robs the scene or robs the I mean, it's um, reveal of the dramatic potential it's it has. We don't know if Waller will be back and we don't know what she intends to do with that knowledge or what it means for him. Like, there's just there's zero stakes to it. It just kind of, it, like you say, it's there and it doesn't mean anything. For for her, it's a bad move. Like, why did she reveal that? Like, why would someone as smart as Waller who figured out that Batman was Bruce Wayne, like, why would she let him know that when it's leverage? <laughs> like, now yeah. now what? Exactly. And you guys thought, I dislike the main move. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Um, okay, well, um, I think that is it for our Suicide Squad discussion. Um, but um, it's not it for me in Suicide Squad because I've got to read some comics. Um, now, I will be away, as I just mentioned, um, so there won't be an immediate mini-sode following this edition. Um, of the podcast we've pre-recorded our next episode as well in terms of main episodes i'm not going to be able to read the recommendations straight away and do a mini-sode so what i'm going to do is a mega-sode at the end uh when i get back from my honeymoon and kind of talk about all of my reading that i've done while i was away I'm so you will for get voice notes recorded on a beach in hawaii oh that could happen <laughs> i'm also in los angeles for a week um <laughs> may, may... Maybe I'll bump into some of the people responsible for Suicide Squad and give them a piece of my mind. Um, oh my but yes, yeah, so James, you are going to give me some recommendations. I don't know, Amon, have you got anything as well, or is it just James? I have something to recommend, but I shall go after James. Okay, yes. Okay, so James, you give me your recommendations first, and then we'll we'll find out what Amon has got in okay, his pocket I for mean- us. If Seb were here, he might recommend some Suicide Squad comics that could illuminate the sort of origins of the concept uh, I've not read those so I can't so instead I'm going to give you two things about like the only DC comics that I can recommend based on this movie which are now I was thinking of recommending Mad Love which is the comic that introduces Harley Quinn and tells her origin but I know you've read that um, so if anyone yes, listening um, wants, wants to loved. go read a comic, yeah, go and pick up Mad Love because that is the that is the Harley Quinn text, um, and also has loads of other great Paul Dini kind of like animated series style, um, yeah, comics in there as well that aren't all Harley Quinn. The Harley Quinn stuff is great, but there's other really yeah. Fun I stuff think that's the well. modern expanded collection, like has extra. Yes. I think Mad Love By itself that. is like a hundred a one hundred page story or so. Um, yeah. but yeah, there's more, there's more in the collection. Um, but off the back of that, like I, th- again, kind of need Seb here to tell me whether I'm right or not. I'm pretty sure Mad Love is a sort of standalone continuity free piece, but there's also a collection called, uh, Batman Harley Quinn, which is a collection, like it's early, early comics, showing Harley Quinn's appearances in the actual DC universe. Like, I'm not, again, I'm not sure if Mad Love is canon, whether it's still canon, like, who can keep track of the DCU? Um, Because <laughs> it's not me. But, yeah, this is a, it's a bunch of sort of one-shot Harley Quinn stories that if you've read Mad Love, that's, you know, it's a good place to go next. I'm especially fond of the... uh uh, I can't remember now if it's Batman or Detective Comics. I think it's Detective Comics stories in there, which are like these little one and that's one shot single. And that's the one. Am I right in thinking that's the one with on the front? It's got the Joker and Harley. Yeah, that they kind of Alex Ross. Yeah, they referenced it very briefly in this film where you saw the Joker in a tuxedo and Harley Quinn in a like classic jester outfit. Yep, and that was that was uh, a, a great image in the movie as well. Yeah, yeah. It'd be nice if we'd got more of that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's the first thing. The other one, like I was wondering whether to go for a Deadshot comic, but I haven't actually read it, so I can't. I don't feel like I can say to you, you know, this this Deadshot comic illuminates the character because I honestly don't know. Um, so it, it was almost Deadshot bulletproof, but I think I have to go with 
the Joker graphic novel by Brian Azzarello and Lee Bermejo. I think it's Bermejo. Um, that That is a comic about the Joker getting released from Arkham and essentially how, like what he does when he's just hanging around not fighting Batman. Um, but for me, it... It was a big in like I felt like it was a big influence on the Joker in this movie because it's the crime boss Joker, who's kind of more, a bit more of a gangster in the modern sense. Like the cover is a kind of I forget if he's got like the grill, but it's a close up of his teeth and it reminds me of, reminds me quite heavily of the Jared Leto version. Um, this is this is the one that I'll you you kind of see it's just it's like in loads of shops isn't it it's kind of like the one of the ones oh, yeah, that's like, like made they, across they, over into like water zones and stuff yeah like it's that. like a prestige collection it was specifically produced for the bookstop market like it was never published as comics it was always a graphic novel original graphic novel um should i be concerned be- about brian azzarello because i've seen some stuff about him surrounding the killing joke movie um which made me yeah uh, i've honestly i've not been him. keeping up with that so i don't know um I think he shouted at a fan at Comic-Con they were a pussy after uh, they right, voiced okay. complaints well, about the... It was, it was a journalist. You know, the problem yeah. is if you if you don't read comics by creators who are assholes, you're never going to read a comic. So, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, like there are some creators who I avoid, like Brian Azzarello has not made the list yet. Uh, I just, I normally avoid him because I don't like his comics. But this one, I you know, I read it and enjoyed it, so... Right, excellent. <laughs> if, um. <laughs> it's if you know if it's a problem for you that he is, uh, and you know a dick, uh, I wouldn't make you spend money on it. Um, I don't. I, I don't know enough about him to know whether he is a dick or not. Yeah, we'll I read this and then make that. a decision. Yeah. <laughs> Amon, does your recommendation come from someone who is a dick, or does it come from someone who... It's okay, because, you know, they're the bad guys, right? That's <laughs> what they do. Yeah. Um, I am not actually sure who's in charge of the main thing. I, I think it's... Uh, the director's name is Sam Liu. Um, but what I'm going to recommend to you, you should really make time for. It's uh, an animated film... Uh, 2014 it's called Batman Assault on Arkham and it is everything that the Suicide Squad movie should have been it is effectively the perfect blueprint for a Suicide Squad movie I kid you not what just makes this Suicide Squad movie just, it just I, th- th- there's no excuse when you got this blueprint right in front of you uh, to explain to explain a little bit about what it's about uh, Deadshot leads this particular team this, um, the, the team the team consists of Harley Quinn Killer Frost, King Shark, Black Spider, and KG Beast. <laughs> and uh, Waller, Waller sends them into Arkham, um, which, which, is actually, which actually justifies you know, why Harley Quinn should be part of the team um, to retrieve something from the Riddler. And while the team is doing that, they run into the Joker, who's planted a bomb somewhere in Gotham, which Batman is trying to find. And the team run into Batman into, in, in what is... Awesome scene. I would have killed for a scene like that in Suicide Squad. But um, yeah, it's everything that the Suicide Squad movie should should have been. It's a really fantastic animated movie, uh, and, and a number of ways it it, it it finds time for the Joker, who actually makes an impact. It finds time for Batman. 
uh, you get to see a little bit of um, the, uh, more. You, you get to see more of, uh, of Batman's Vogues in Arkham mm. as well. They they get some nice screen time. It's it's got it all. So I'd highly recommend making some time <clears throat> for that on your honeymoon on your holiday. <laughs> I think I think I think you'll be. I mean, you find it well worth it. Also. Obviously, there's the Task Force X episode that I recommended earlier in the podcast, but there's also, if you wanted to see the animated version of Mad Love, if you haven't seen it already, they did mm. an episode uh, devoted to that story, yeah, yeah. Um, which is which is very good. So Yeah, I have, that, I have seen that. If that um, yeah. Assault on Arkham is feature length, I mean, that's eligible for its own podcast, so maybe we should save it for that. Yeah. It's so good, I tell you. I think it's an hour and 15 minutes, and it's yeah, fantastic. I, I highly recommend it. We should do that on a, would, on a full-length podcast and have you back for it. I would definitely love, love to, to do back. some more animated stuff on the full-length podcast, because I think we, we missed steps with Planet Hulk. It was an interesting thought experiment, but it wasn't a great <laughs> film, and it wasn't the most interesting to discuss. I would, uh, yeah, after hearing you describe that one, I would like to do that. I've also suggested to Seven James in the past the possibility of doing an episode devoted to just the Harley Quinn episodes of Bat- Batman the Animated Series, um, which I think could also be fun. Uh, just cause... There's, there's a lot of great ones in there. Yeah. Um, but we'll move on to our final section now, which is the pitch. And this is fairly easy, fairly self-explanatory. Pitch me your ideal Suicide Squad spin-off. I think I've referenced a few, a few like things that I'd like to see for this movie throughout the podcast, but um, I'd love to hear your ideas for a very specific kind of follow-up to Suicide Squad within the DCEU. So, um, James, I'll come to you first. Uh, I mean, for me, the only place you go after this film is a Harley Quinn spin-off, but like, since that's happening anyway... Uh, I guess what I would like to see is maybe, as we've said, like this is essentially a Deadshot film with Harley Quinn and a bunch of chaff. So just get rid of the chaff, do Deadshot and Harley Quinn. Like those those two characters are the two you want to hang out with. So let's cut straight to that. Uh as for who you do as the yeah, villain, yeah, I could be on board with that. Yeah, who you like, who you do, who. As for who you would position as the villain, like, if you can't get Ben Affleck to come back and do Batman, you know, Robin maybe, Jason Todd, like the Nightwing, Jason Todd, Robin trio, like, some Bat characters, Batgirl. Well, Jason Todd's dead in this universe. Well, yeah, James. So maybe not. Him. When did that ever stop anyone? <laughs> <laughs> Lazarus Pit. Yeah. So you well, so you, so you can do it. Maybe you do the Red Hood. Yeah. As yeah. a villain in a in a Harley. Well, no, because uh, because my intention is do a super do a super villain film where they are the villains and we see it from their perspective. And instead of every at the end of every act, you have a fight with a villain. Like at the end of every act, they get burst in on by a hero and they have to defeat them. Oh, I'm very on board with that, having the actual, just the villains as the heroes. Yeah. Or just the villains as the protagonists. Yeah, structure it with the, the villains as the protagonists, but make them actual villains. Because, as we've said, Ooh, that's the one thing that. missing from this film. So I do like that a lot. So a Harley a Harley and Deadshot movie where they are flat-out villains. Yeah. I, I could get on board with that. Um, I'm on last time your pitch was the most spectacularly well-thought-through pitch we've probably <laughs> ever had on the podcast. 
can you possibly do that again? Because I'll be honest, going into this, I'd already written this off as another defeat for James. <laughs> oh, man. Gosh, that is a lot of pressure on me yeah, right that's now. James, no, that's wow. <laughs> okay, but... At the time, of, I mean, I got an idea in my head because, as, as I was telling you before, I before when we started this podcast, I was still writing up the the final act, if you will, of this extremely elaborate pitch. So I'm gonna have to. So I haven't I haven't actually got that last part written down, but I got an idea in my head. So I'm just gonna run with it. And uh, yeah, here we go. Okay, so I would actually have um, you know all the best characters from Suicide Squad. In the spin-off, so it would be between it would be Harley, it would be Deadshot, um, and it would be uh, Waller. So the story would be that um, Joker and Harley are up to no good in Gotham, uh, but Waller wants Harley back in the squad because nobody screws with the wall. Basically, <laughs> Waller wants Harley back in the squad, so either um, and and she wants Harley either dead or captured, or, so, so, so she can have, so that she can be back in the squad. So. Waller sends the team after her, and Waller uh, has Deadshot one point. Flag, Flag isn't in this. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he, he has Deadshot one point, but obviously Waller still has all the, the bombs in there that's controlling, controlling them. Um, so yeah, and, and Waller has told, this, this is the kicker, Waller has told Deadshot that if he gets Harley back, then he gets to go home to his daughter. But at the same time, Batman is also after Joker because Batman is always after Joker at Scotham. You know, Joker's doing what he's doing, Batman's doing what he's doing. So, um, and what makes all of this even more interesting, I think, is that, you know, we, we, we alluded to earlier in the podcast, Deadshot and Harley had a thing going on in Suicide Squad. So, Floyd Lawton has a bit of a conflict uh, because, obviously, the option is that, that there's an option to kill her to get back to his daughter, but there's also an option to capture. Um, but, and at the same time as all this is going on, Harley may finally be getting wise to joker's manipulations or maybe she isn't so it all culminates in this massive battle involving everybody and it leaves most of the suicide squad either dead thanks to the joker or incapacitated thanks to batman the only ones left standing are batman deadshot and harley after joker abandons harley again when batman's getting ready to take harley to arkham but deadshot stops him and a big fight ensues batman wins the fight and sort of in the time that sort of, you know, sort of mid credit scene where Batman was meeting up with Waller and sort of Batman has since learned everything about that operation and has figured out tech to nullify the bombs that Waller puts in the suicide scores people's brain. So Batman sort of wins that fight. He rounds up all the villains, puts them in Arkham and the film ends. So, and after Artie's after, after put the to the anti bomb tech in the Suicide Squad people, <laughs> so they don't blow up, obviously. Yeah. Is it just me, or were your pitches the same pitch, except James is with very little detail and yours I'm on with a lot? Essentially, <laughs> a movie which comes down to, again, uh, Joker and Harley, sorry, Joker and Harley, Deadshot and Harley being kind of the main players. They're actually more villainous this time around, and a hero is turning up to fight them at all points at all points in the film. But they are the protagonists, and Batman is not the protagonist, despite the fact that he's there the whole way through. Yep. yep. It sounds like you've pitched the exact same idea 
Except <laughs> uh, what what you've done, James, is you've come into the meeting. You've said, "Here's the con- the concept," and Amon's gone, "Yeah, but here's the treatment." I've got you, <laughs> and I've written the first, and I've written the first twenty pages of the script. Here it is. Well, in expect, that case, I expect you to email me that within the next half hour. All I'll say is, <laughs> if someone came in with that idea, they're going to have to pay him a lot more than they'd have to pay me. <laughs> well, unfortunately, James, they're going to have to pay both of you because the pitch is a tie this week, which is, I mean, that's, def- that's definitely result. I'll take it. I'll take, I'll take a win. um well excellent excellent work there um amon thank you so much for joining us again for this suicide squad um beat down Um, (laughs) um, you want to let listeners know uh where they can find more of your work online yeah i'm on uh twitter at a woman and i'm on facebook at i'm on woman there's a lot of uh very interesting conversations uh going on on my facebook threads these days and you know i love it i, I love that um you know that I, I was having a discussion not to get sort of rambling on here but but i was having a discussion in terms of just um film criticism and whether or not uh that there was a discussion about whether or not a person should check to check out suicide squad given all the negative reviews and i would i mean whilst you know we do give sort of recommendations a lot of film critics give recommendations and you know, uh, some people sort of trust them and then uh, go go buy that and then do and don't check out films based on reviews. I think it's much better if, you know, you look at a review, you go and watch the film and you have sort of, um, you know, things that you like about it, things that you disagree about, and then go and talk to the critic or whoever it might be um, and have an intelligent discussion about what you do and don't like, like we do on this podcast. I think that, you know... It, it, it illuminates a lot about the film and you can find stuff more stuff that you, that you liked that you didn't like before um so you know if you do sort of you know follow me on facebook or on twitter do get involved do let me know and uh, we can start a call back and forth it'd be cool yeah there's a there is an, an amazing long thread on i'm on facebook at the moment that i dived into um yeah, there's there's lots of fun discussion. I, I I know certainly if people want to talk to you about this movie further, you would be more than happy to engage. So um, absolutely. So that's great. Um, as for me, no, I'm off on honeymoon after this. Talk about uh, Suicide Squad ever again, unless you can. If you can tweet me a worse villain than Enchantress, and you're right. <laughs> I'll give you a bit of time of day, even if I'm even if I'm laid on a beach in Hawaii. Um, this is, uh, guys, this is all dependent on my bride not leaving me at the altar. So fingers crossed Ooh, that that can be awkward. <laughs> if something goes wrong, congratulations there, in advance, yeah, brother. Otherwise, I don't know. <laughs> I'll probably still go to Hawaii. I'll just probably be down on my own. Uh, <laughs> All right, okay, so uh, we'll, then Seb will just be holding the phone. Okay, Joe, you convinced me. I'll come too. Gosh. Uh, as long as you agree with me about Enchantress, that is my only condition. Deal. Yes, yeah, she is worse than... Uh, the nuclear man in Superman 4. <laughs> 
Um, okay, well, that is definitely it for this week's show. I have no idea how I'm going to edit this into it. <laughs> We're basically nearly at the three-hour mark here. Um, if you enjoyed the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. Or you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. You can find more episodes of the show at cinematicmultiverse.com. You can get in touch on Facebook, on Twitter at cu underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. killed me the penguin killed me batman killed me that's three lives down you got enough in there to finish me off cinematic universe returns in two weeks time with batman returns Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.